Hello, everyone, and welcome to Everyday Linux, episode 158. Hey, buddy, can you spare a file? Recorded August 31st, 2014, and brought to you by Element OP Productions. ElementOP.com. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Linux show that's not about Linux, but about life in the context of Linux. I am your host, Mark, the Sultan of the Soapbox Cockerel, joined, as always, by my good friends and yours, Chris, the Command Line Godfather, and Seth, the Gooey Kid Anderson. Hello, gentlemen. Hello, hello, out there in podcast land. How is everyone doing? And welcome to the Element OPI Horde. Power to the Horde. For the Horde! I hear that's something related to a video game. But I don't know. I was thinking of a Xena episode, actually. So yeah. that works. Xena Warrior Princess. Who, what, Lucy Lawless. Lucy Lawless. Yes. Yep. She the was best thing the, to ever come out of New Zealand. She was the thing for a while, <laughs> definitely. And you know, when she was on um, Battlestar Galactica, she looked totally different. So, you know, I guess she didn't have to like work out and be the hot rip chick. She could just be one of many hot chicks. And who was game, she on so. Battlestar Galactica? I don't remember her there. She was, um, she was, she was on a, um, I think she was like one of the Cylons that got ended or something, but she wasn't in like the first season and she was only on for like maybe a season, but she was also, hmm. she's also on Spartacus or at least was. And again, Hey, that's Lucy Lawless, but man, she looks different. So. Well, it is 20 years later, too. Well, yeah, that's that, true. I mean, being being a man, we have the privilege of of going downhill as we get older and nobody notices. It's expected. Women go downhill and people people say, oh, wow, she's really lost it. Where, you know, you, you, you look at a, you know, a newscaster, um, Diane, what's Sawyer. her name? Sawyer, you know, 20 years later, she loses a lot of her sex appeal and it drives her down, um, you know, where uh, Charlie Goodman just gets older and older and nothing, nobody notices, you know, just right. gets grayer and more wrinkly. And that's fine. He can he's now more distinguished. It actually impro- improves his street cred. Um, it's it's hard to be a, a an info babe, I guess. Yeah. So not only do I have white privilege, I have male privilege. That's right. Man, I'm just I'm getting worse and worse every week. <laughs> and see, I have fat geek privilege, which means there's nothing that could have ever made it worse. I mean, at at you, you know the peak of my sexual prowess, I had none. So you know it could only it didn't matter if you go downhill from zero, it doesn't matter. So I yeah, I just I gave up on zero. vanity so long ago. <laughs> I mean, I convinced a woman with poor taste in men to marry me, and so I'm set. I'm good with that. I, I don't have to do anything else anymore. Lucky you. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like to say she's all, all practically perfect except for her taste in men. Uh, so this, as we alluded to last week, uh, this week's show is going to be about the concept and the practice of file sharing. But before we get to that, we have a, a little follow-up from, from discussions last week, beginning with Seth's Audible report. Okay. Well, I decided, okay, I'm going to do the whole Audible Kool-Aid thing. And so I got a book that I knew I liked. Um, I got The Martian because that would be a great book to listen to because it's written. A lot of it is like this guy's recording his log of what he's done because, you know, anyway, that's how this book was written. So I thought this book lends itself to be listened to. So I listened to it 
all told it was about 10 or 11 hours. Um, so it was only slightly longer than if I had read it. And, um, I got to tell you, I almost turned it off like in the first minute because, you know, they do the whole brought to you by audible read by blah, blah, blah. And then this music. Oh yeah. Was you gotta just, just, you gotta ignore the audible music. They have terrible music. Oh, (laughs) it was so, so bad. Right. As I was hitting the stop, it started going down and it stayed off for the entire. And I was like, Thank you, Lord, that that music is over because I would have confessed to killing Kennedy and Lincoln. <laughs> it al- the, the musical it interludes almost ruined the Ender's Game series for me, too, because between every chapter, they have a musical interlude, and it was 30 seconds of hell just to get to the next bit of story. Uh, yes, I admit that, that their creative di- director needs some help there. Okay, well, luckily, it wasn't between chapters. It right. was just like before the, the first chapter and after the very end, but... I got to tell you, I just, I did not like the experience because I, as I was listening to it, I was like, I'm bored. Uh, you know, I had to like, I had to bring up like a game of solitaire and play it just to keep engaged. Um, because I enjoy reading like the actual process of holding the book and reading the thing. So the fact that, that that means I don't like it probably means most of the rest of the country yeah. will love it. And you should give it a try because if you're somebody who likes listening um, or, you know, give it a try because the actual book was good. The narrator was good. Uh, the same person read it all the way through. And there was a couple of times I could tell, Oh, they stopped there. Yeah. But you know, he did a good job of like when he was talking as someone else, he would alter his voice a little bit. So you knew he was, you knew it was a different person, but anyway, Overall, I mean, the production of The Martian was very well done, and uh, it was an enjoyable listen listening experience, but I'm bored. I, I My eyes have to be doing something, so that's why I either have to be reading or watching uh, something. Otherwise, it just it wasn't for me. So uh, I did, um, like I say, I downloaded it, I listened to it, and uh, it was good enough to, you know, I stayed up to like 2 o'clock one night listening to it, so I didn't get much sleep the next day at work, but... Well, that's a something, definitely. Yeah, yeah. but I mean, yeah. you know, like the I was I was playing solitaire basically <laughs> yeah. the whole time. Well, because- you just you don't like being read to. I can tell by you know this whole discussion. You don't like being yeah. read to, and that's you know you 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 have to like that. For me, as I've said many times before, I don't like the physical act of reading. I enjoy stories. I don't right. like reading. Uh, I was commenting mm-hmm. to my wife uh, the other day. Just uh, I had started a new book. In fact, uh, the book one in the Honor Harrington series. Uh, because Seth, you have raved about it so much, I thought I'd try it. And I have to say, the reader is not that good, and it's almost enough to make me not interested in the story. But I've read reviews online, and they say the reader, you know, gets better several chapters in. So I'm I'm hanging on to that fact. But right now. Um, it's a bit of a turnoff. It's a struggle for me to listen to this story. But it, so the reader definitely makes a big difference. Um, the Lost Fleet series, the reader's name is Christian Rummel. Christian Rummel is a demigod among narrators. He is amazing. <laughs> uh, the, the, the Lost Fleet series by the, by halfway through the first chapter, I was hooked. I knew I was, because it's a good story and because he is such an amazing reader. And throughout that book, I'm going to hazard a guess at probably 35 different voices he did, and every one of them was unique and consistent. And every time he did a different voice, I knew who it was. I didn't need the descriptor of, you know, Dejani said X. I knew Captain Dejani's voice because he had a distinctive female voice, 
for for this character that he used all the way through the book. And he had a, 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 a distinctive co-president Rion voice that he used. And you always knew throughout six books, 70-plus uh, hours of stuff, I knew exactly who he was every time. Um, and that's pretty impressive. Where I the Ender's Game series, that, that one they broke up uh, different characters would be read by different people. Uh, and that had its values, but some of them, you know, uh, would lose accents periodically. This Chinese person suddenly lost their Chinese accent and then it would come back, uh, you know, and there were, there were things like that. So it really all does depend on the reader. But the neat thing about Audible is that they put it all out there for you and say, here, try it. You go to elementopi.com slash audible, you get a free book, uh, which is signs you up for a, a subscription. And we were talking about that. Before the show, Seth asked, "How much? How much do I make on that? A few pennies." Well, you know, on the, like the when you go to Amazon, elementopi.com/slash Amazon, I get like between one and five percent of your purchase. But Audible, these guys are serious about it. So it costs fourteen ninety five. I think that's what Seth told me for uh, the one book a month plan. Okay, when you sign up, they give you the first book free, so they're losing fourteen ninety five. When you sign up through my link, almanopi.com slash audible, they pay me $15. So it's a double swap there. They're losing 30 bucks on this deal. Wow. And, and they're doing it because they're convinced that you're going to come back, because they know their product is good. Seth is obviously not their test mar- uh, target market, and that's fine. Not everybody is. But if you're listening to this, if you're a podcast listener, you probably are. And uh, the conversation I had with my wife was, um, between I graduated high school in 1990. Okay, so that was 24 years ago. Between 1990 and 2013, I had read maybe 12 books. I just and and most of those were um, not for pleasure. Maybe maybe four or five books I read for pleasure in 23 years. In the last 13 months, I've read 35 books or listened to 35 books. That's the difference. For me, it opened up the love of, of story again. And, and I know pe- the pedantic people get mad when I call it reading. But, I mean, reading or being read, too, it's, it's consuming the story. And that was a love that I had lost for 23 years that I got back because of Audible. So, for yeah. me, mm. when I talk about it and when I get excited about it, that's why. No, and if you're someone who likes them, I mean, it is well worth it to get the uh, one credit a month. Because, you know, you think about it, if you're going to go out and buy a new book, you're paying 20 bucks or more sometimes. So they have to pay for the book and pay for the people to read it and perform it. And so the price of the books, it'll say like $24.99 or one credit. So basically, you can, you're getting the books cheaper by doing their monthly plan. So if you like to listen and, you know, like I love podcasts and I love listening to conversations, um, you know, I love that kind of stuff, but I just, I, I would, I so enjoy reading when I read that I couldn't handle listening to it. Um, but if you're someone who likes that, then the audible membership is the way to go. And if you want to sign up, you know, sign up through elementop.com slash audible and help support the podcast. Yeah. So, uh, but the, the people out there who are rolling your eyes at the fact that we've just done a 10 minute ad for audible, it's not so much an ad. This is what we do, right? This show is about us and what we find interesting. I am now totally in love with audible. Seth tried it because I rave about it. Didn't like it. So we're going to talk about those sort of things. So yeah. get over it. Chris, yeah, what, what, what about you? What are your experiences? 
Well, I've only experienced this one book, and it, I can't call it a book. It's a series of short stories done by um, R.A. Salvador. The, it's The Legend of uh, Driz Duran. They did a collection of of his short stories that is uh, based around the characters of the story. Um, they're all like uh, e- either in between books, you know, little short stories for in between the his major books, or history on the characters. And you know, even in, at this moment in time, that there's a free um, download of this book series of the short stories, and one of them is read by Al Yankovic. One is read by Felicity Day, and when you listen to Felicity Day do her her book, it's amazing. I could not believe the how sucked into it I was, and I'm going the next small book I'm, or the short story I'm getting ready to hear or listen to or read or whatever you want to call it is read by Ice T. So I'm really excited to hear all these different readers and to hear more things about you know the, these these books that I grew up reading and now I have something else to do in the car besides listening to podcasts so I might have to cut down my podcast a little bit because I have a feeling I'm going to be um pushing the buy button or the subscribe button <laughs> yeah it's easy because, to get hooked oh yeah well and and I started looking through the books the collections for all the book series that I've been meaning to read to but I don't have the time to read well now I have a 2 hour window every day where I can listen to something and I would say almost every book I've looked up is in the audible queue so I can wish list them and then just have magically a new book every month. So, um, I'm, I'm hooked at least a little bit. Um, if I end up getting a bad, uh, reader, I think it might sour me a little bit, but just this first, you know, the actually the very first story, the Felicity days, uh, reading of the first notch, uh, hooked me. And if that's, you, that's what's great about audible is you don't like the book for any reason. You don't like the reader. You find the book was boring, whatever. You just return it. They give you your money mm-hmm. back or your credit back. No questions asked. And I and I love that. Again, it's because these people stand by their product. Yeah. It I'm impressed. Um and and if right now I think it's good for just so everyone knows that the the short stories are it's it's a short time uh bump, but if you go get it now, it's free and then down the road it'll be it'll come on free again it'll but it's it's worth it even if you don't like if you've never heard of this this book set just listen to them it's impressive the uh the collection of short stories is 10 hours so it's a good solid listening yeah most of the books i'm finding are right around that range between 8 and 12 hours um and for a commuter like me that's a that's a week in the car i do a book yep. a week uh, and you know, I, I've had to, I've had to bump up my uh, subscription actually to the two <laughs> book a month. Plus, I've bought a couple extra credits because I'm burning through them too fast. Uh, but How- you know, again, they they have the daily deals where you can get a book for a couple of bucks, uh, and then you can buy a bulk a batch of credits, three credits for thirty dollars, so ten dollars a credit, which is less than okay. you get either way. So, um, yeah, it's uh, it's it's easy. To spend a lot of money, but you know, if you're, it's, it's, it's value for your entertainment, right? So I spend, um, if I go to a, a movie around here just for the tickets, I'm going to spend $8. So and that's, yeah, and that's two just hours. a couple hours. Right. And so I get, I get a story compressed into two hours or I can get 12 hours for 10 bucks. I, I find right. that totally worth it. 
yeah, I'm I'm really looking to uh to turn this this thing on and and run with it just for a little bit. Um I just got to talk the wife into it now. <laughs> so welcome to Everyday Audible. Uh, no. <laughs> but it's worth it. Go out and try it, guys. Yeah, At it least is. just go try it. Yeah. You know, you, you may be a Seth and not like it, or you may be like Mark and myself where we're all over it. So give it a shot. Yeah, and even if you have no interest in it, uh, go to elementopia.com slash audible, sign up for a free subscription, get your free book, cancel your subscription immediately. You still end up helping the show. Uh, and you can experiment with it. Find out if you like it or if you don't. But Audible is convinced that you're going to like it. That's why they they give up money like that. And uh, uh, I'm convinced you're going to like it. That's why I recommend it. Uh, moving on from some other feedback, uh, you know, I mentioned the ice bucket challenge last week, um, and I, I was afraid about a ba- uh, said I was afraid of a backlash. I've already seen that backlash begin. I'm now starting to see. Uh, people comment on. In fact, I had uh, two people individually email me uh, or the show uh, saying that you're wasting drinking water, clean drinking water, and people in the country, in other countries, don't have clean drinking water, and you're doing this stupid thing, and you're wasting water. And I, and I thought you're just being stupid. Stop. You can't you can't pick your outrage. All right. So either the uh, ice bucket challenge is stupid and wasteful, and 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 that's fine. But come on. Uh, Every time you flush your toilet, you waste water, right? Why don't you save it up, flush it once a day? Um, because you'd rather waste water than stink. If you've ever let your kids play in the sprinkler, you've wasted more than a five-gallon bucket of water. Every time you, you know, have gone to a swimming pool, you've contributed to wasting water. So just get over that, people. You're 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 grasping at straws on that one, looking for something to be mad about. Uh, if you if you want to hate the ALS ice bucket challenge, there are lots of better reasons than you're wasting water. Well, we happen to live in a country with lots and lots of in, almost an infinite supply of cheap water available, and we're going to use that, and we do use it. Um, you know, if you if you don't turn your water off while you're brushing your teeth, you're wasting water and you're a scumbag, and you should stop it. <laughs> yeah, or if you don't turn your shower off while you're soaping up. Yes. Yeah, and it's not like you can run the water out of your tap and mail it to where they don't have it. <laughs> exactly. So, well, well you, you could, know, you, but it would cost thousands of dollars of diesel and pollute the air yep. to do it. Well, and, and, and because you didn't people, put it in a sterilized container, it would be spoiled by the time it got there. And you can, and if it's more than three ounces, things. you can't put it on a plane anyway. There you go. Right. <laughs> or what we could all do is, uh, you know, and maybe the uh, here's an idea for every ice bucket challenge. The person doing the ice bucket challenge does a donation to either Project Water or um, what is it, Charity Water. There you go. You have your donation to a water charity yeah. and ALS done, taken care of. Man, I had a great one. If anybody had challenged me, I was like going to have it set where like the bucket fell on my head and then I was going to do the ouch that hurt kind of thing, but I never got challenged yeah. really. Yeah. So one of my favorites, it. uh, if you, if you know this, the YouTube channel smarter every day, if you don't go, go learn that, that. Uh, subscribe to that channel. It's great. Uh, it's not a daily uh, thing like the, the name suggests, but it's it's science videos. And he was challenged to do the ALS ice bucket challenge. He thought, well, how can we make this sciency? So he dumped the bucket on um, on a person, a chicken, a cat, and a dog, and measured their response time uh, to it. And the cat won hands down because it ran off as soon as the bucket started moving. 
didn't even wait for the water to get there. Uh, and then just to to amp it up a notch, he filled a bucket uh, full of water and dumped like five pounds of dry ice in it to get it super, Ooh. super cold and then poured that on himself. Ow. Ow. So that's like frostbite inducing yeah. there. And of course, he did it with a slow motion thousand frame per second camera on him. So we all got to see his pain in, in full uh, uh, slow motion uh, joy. Ow. <laughs> that's all I say is ow. <laughs> Schadenfreude at its best. I'm not going <laughs> to tell you what that means. Look it up. Uh, and Seth has a slight recanting of his complaints against Google Drive last week. Yeah, you know, last week I complained about how Google Drive changed their whole thing, and they did, because if you use Google Docs, you know there's the, in the upper corner, you can hit the blue thing and go back. It used to take you back to Google Drive, and now it just takes you back to Docs. So you have to, you can't get back to your drive that way, you have to like, go do it some other way. So it turns out they still screwed it up. It's just a different kind of screw up than it was before. And I still hate it, but at least now I understand it a little bit more. So, so, so there was Google docs and they forced you from, to go from Google docs to Google Do- drive. They essentially changed Google docs to Google drive, added some functionality, removed some others, then rolled out Google docs again, as if there had never been a thing called Google docs in the past, which is a totally different neutered version of the Google Docs that they had before that's separate from Google Drive, even after they spent all that effort on moving you from Google Docs to Google Drive. WCF Google. Pretty much, yeah. Wow. Um, And on Android now, I had a Google Docs app. It converted to a Drive app. The other day, I tried to edit an app on my phone, and it said, oh, you need the Google Docs app. What? I had the Google Docs app. You took it away. Yeah, yeah, what it is is the Sheets app or the... yes. Or the now pages. you have to have a separate app. Yeah. The yes, the Pages app, the Sheets app, the present presentation app. Uh, it makes me tired. It does. Yeah, um, I tried to send a message uh, with my Facebook app, and it finally said, "Oh, they've moved to Messenger. You need to download that." So, if anybody listens to this, wants to send me a Facebook message, I'll probably never respond because you can't do that through the app anymore. So. Yes. Which, thank you, Facebook, because I'm spending less and less time on your time-wasting, brain-killing piece of crap, uh, multi-billion dollar garbage heap. Um, thank you. I appreciate that. Maybe, maybe we could get them to sponsor us, Mark. Um, I don't think I would take that money. Uh, you know, there's, there's some things I can be rented but not bought. Uh, so moving on to the listener feedback section, Mike the Brit, as he chooses to be known, has a factlet of his own and reminds us that even charities can be idiots. See, this is two uh, emails from the same guy that I've combined into one. He says, hi, guys, you queried my nationality, so I just wanted to let you know that I'm British. So tally ho, and if you fancy a spot of Tiffin, call me. What's Tiffin? I did enjoy your ex- I don't know. <laughs> I did enjoy your explanation of what a factoid is. I did wonder if you were about to get it wrong, but now I apologize, misspelled for no, not misspelled, just spelled the British way. But now I apologize for even uh, ha- uh, having doubted you. You probably know this, but when people talked about factoids, they actually mean factlicks, literally. Cheers from Boydy, Mike Kensworth, known as Mike the Brit. Uh, I don't remember asking for Brits to speak up, but. Apparently, I did, and so he did. <laughs> Hi, Mike. Nice to meet you, Britt. <laughs> um, Mike has been a, a, a contributor to the show a lot, uh, many times. Uh, and then he sends on an, a second one. This is uh, a new story, but also interesting. He says, you've probably already seen this reported. I hadn't. Uh, but it struck me as a rather jaw-dropping gaffe. 
British term, by the ALS Association. Uh, and he's put a link here that uh, I will put in the show notes. Uh, essentially, ALS is try- the ALS Association is trying to trademark the phrase Ice Bucket Challenge. Um, and and it says he follows up say thankfully they've seen the sense and dropped the application but it seems rather mean spirited for a charity to consider so this this shows that the ALS uh, was not the ALS association was not prepared for the success of the marketing campaign of the ice bucket challenge and it's going to cause them problems and it was one of the things that I mentioned uh, concern about before this organization who'd had a relatively small million-ish budget has now gotten 70-plus million from this one campaign. Great for them, but do they know how to handle it? This yeah. is the first indication that no, they don't, because they're trying to trademark the name Ice Bucket Challenge. So you can't put those three words together without paying homage to the ALS Association. Fortunately, they realized they were being jerks and backed off. Um but, you know, it just goes to show that there are douches everywhere. Yeah. Well, you know, it's probably just the, the one part-time lawyer who, right. you know, was working Volunteer. there. You know, he's like, ooh, I know what I'll do. This will really help out. I can contribute. And then he brought it up in the meeting. And they went, you idiot. Stop what you're doing right this second. He goes, what? Oh, oh, you're right. I am being a douche. So um, <laughs> I'm sure that's exactly what the guy said, too. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wait, I mean, yeah. I'm somebody douche. <laughs> yeah. Somebody complained, and he went, "Oh, yeah, I forgot. Lawyers are stupid." Um, hey, maybe I was we could one. trademark. Oh, wait, I'm being a douche, and that <laughs> <laughs> that's the new Element Op T-shirt. There it is. Uh. uh so I'm glad to see that's been rescinded. And I'm not surprised that it ever came out because, like Seth said, you know, lawyers have to lawyer. Um, it, and it yeah. doesn't matter whether it's uh, they're doing it part time for free or they're on retainer, particularly like, like he always points out, Microsoft and Google have lawyers on retainer. They pay them no matter what. You might as well file a suit somewhere. Um, and so I wonder sure. if maybe that's what happened here. Well, it makes sense. Uh, so fortunately, I mean, and they, they just it wouldn't have been it would have prevented other people from using the ice bucket challenge from co-opting this brilliant marketing campaign for using for other stuff. Right. So Coors can't use the ice bucket challenge to, you know, to dare you to drink better beer. Yeah. Um, and so in, in that, it makes sense. It really does. We want, we've created this thing. We want to protect this thing and not let it escape our control. So I can certainly see the logic behind filing for a trademark trademark patent, uh, application, but at the same time, um, you know, it's it's kind of a, you know, you guys were awesome, so we're going to return it by being jerks thing. But at least, the, yeah. you know, common sense actually won out and they didn't. Yeah, yeah the Internet is a, is good at letting you know when you've been stupid. And <laughs> and so that happened. A, a little a little forceful some days. Yes. Um, if you haven't seen it, search for it. Um, the best Ice Bucket Challenge I've seen yet was the Old Spice Guys Ice Bucket Challenge. Absolutely hilarious. Uh, so search for it if you haven't seen it. I will have to do that. I've not seen that one. Uh, look on my page, Seth. I posted it earlier in the week. Okay. I did see the Dolly Parton Ice Bucket Challenge, though. I, I, I saw that it was there, but I didn't click on it. Was it worth watching? Not really. Yeah, I didn't think so. Ooh. You know, maybe in the 80s, had she been wearing a t-shirt, 
Um, but that's a whole different thing. <laughs> that's well, there was this kind whoa. of funny thing because, you know, apparently she's really modest and she was like, you know, you have to pay to see the wet t-shirt version kind of thing. Just joking about it. Yeah. But, um, it was, it was kind of funny, but at the same time, it just, it, there's been a few good ones, but most of them have just been, eh. Yeah. The old Spice Guys was the best I've seen yet. We'll have to look for that one. Okay, moving right along, Brent asks about Wi-Fi, and I wanted to post this question to uh, to Chris and to our listeners uh, because, well, I'll get into it. He says, which Linux distros support the most Wi-Fi drivers? I installed the latest Linux Mint on an older, white, late 2007 MacBook. I got it working after doing some searching, but I don't think Linux is going to take off on the desktop until better Wi-Fi driver support happens. So the question, which supports the most Wi-Fi drivers... I don't think there is one. It's all in the kernel. Yep. It doesn't matter what which spin of Linux you're using. The drivers are all about the kernel. And we've talked before. Wi-Fi is is one of the biggest problems because you the only way to write a driver for something is to either um, you know have code submitted by the manufacturer or have the device to experiment with. And not everybody has every uh, uh, wireless chip. And so they, they wireless is one of the biggest problems in uh, um, in Linux. However, yep. I'm surprised that the 2007 MacBook, you know, that's seven years old. It's been around a while, and it's a MacBook, which is very popular. I'm surprised that that didn't work out of the box. Most everything I've ever tried has worked out of the box. I've just had to to tweak it to optimize it. But usually, I can get some connectivity immediately. Well, usually, what well, it ends up being is that you have to update the kernel because the kernel that's on the disk isn't up to date. Uh, I'm trying to quickly find out who, what chipset is that wireless, but it looks like from what I can pull out of an old wiki article, it's a, an airport, which again, we, you know, that would have to be reverse engineered because there's no way on God's green earth or, that Apple's going to give up the tech specs for their wireless cards. Which is frustrating because they're, they're essentially using the same kernel or close to it. Yeah. And so if they released it, it would be a simple modification. But then also it, everybody would have their apple juice and nobody wants that. Apple well, juice. I like that. <laughs> and also it could just be that it's so old it has fallen out of the driver because, mm. you know, whenever I had my little netbook thing that I used all the time, I remember I was running Ubuntu on it till I upgraded to the latest version of Ubuntu only to find out they had dropped support for that model. That's so, true too. Yeah, uh, you know, it could be that if you went back and found an older long-term release, that it might work. So, uh, you know, sometimes, especially for stuff like that, if it's past a certain age, support for it might have actually fallen off. Whereas an older kernel, say from 2010 or something, you might find that it works great because seven years is a long time for a hardware. Sure. Um, one thing you could try is grab one of the. Uh, like CentOS and see yeah. if the old CentOS box would, would fire up its Wi-Fi. Um, but even then, you know, cent, maybe not, ah, now I'm thinking about maybe CentOS wouldn't be a good one to try. Um, but whatever distro would probably have the most Wi-Fi drivers, you're going to have to go to probably Manjaro or Arch yeah. because. Or an old, start with an old, uh, 8.004 Ubuntu mm-hmm. that would have been current when that machine was in uh, uh, big use uh, and and go from there, you know. Uh, but, you know, the, it, again, your point is valid. Uh, this needs to be fixed. But uh, it's a problem that 
the Linux community can't really work around. I mean, it would require um, a great deal of some of the 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 great deal of work from some of the best minds in the industry to reverse engineer these things. Um, and they have some of the best minds in the industry. They're working on other problems. Yeah. Uh, and so it's, you know, it's a thing you just buy the, you, the, the typical support forum post you're going to see says, go buy this USB stick that we know works and stick it in there. Uh, you can solve the problem for 12 bucks. We're not going to spend millions reverse engineering right. the uh, the chipset driver. And I I can't say that they're wrong about that. Well, and the other thing that could happen is I don't know in, on that particular model, because obviously none of us have had that one, uh, you may be able to actually replace the Wi-Fi chip itself. Um, because if you can get inside that case a little bit, it may just be a PC, what is that, um, a micro PCI Express type card. And... I think I got one from Amazon for $12 and it's a 802.11n plus Bluetooth type chip. And it was just drop in fix. I mean, it it literally, it's a spec. So if it follows spec, you could put any chip in there. So that might be another option too. He did say though, in that, that little blurb that he did get it working after some search. Um, so obviously his land, his, his hardline works. The question is, is who, who was it? Was it a Broadcom right. chipset? Was it an Intel chipset? Um, because obviously it wasn't too terrible to get working. And if it was a Broadcom, Broadcom's a notorious, especially in that year for not working out of the box. Yeah. But here's how I would have solved that problem. I would have gone to elementopi.com slash Amazon and bought an Edimax um, Bluetooth, uh, U- uh, Wi-Fi USB plug for eight seventy five with next day prime shipping. Um, and that's how I have solved that problem in the past. Uh, <laughs> when I run into something that doesn't work, I spend eight seventy five on it and I get the problem fixed because my time is worth more than eight seventy five. Uh, so, you well, know... And- Go ahead, I was going to say, the great thing is well, you can go to elementopi.com slash Amazon and order thing and then choose the give me a dollar and wait a few days. So it would only actually cost you like seven seventy five. <laughs> yes. Uh, actually, you can get it as cheap as six bucks on Amazon, but the uh, Prime is eight seventy five. dollars uh, So that, there are problems with it, but in a case like that where the, the workaround is so readily available and so easy and so inexpensive... It's not really worth the Linux kernel developer's time. Again, because this has to be in the kernel, you are taking a kernel developer away from solving other real problems to like do this. Hibernate. So I totally, I understand your problem. I understand your complaint, but also it's it's endemic to the fact that hardware manufacturers refuse to open source or even, you don't have to open source it, right? The, the Broadcom people don't open source it. They provide a binary blob and say, put this in the kernel. Um, and, and Apple could do that. They just haven't. Yeah. Such it All is. Right. Moving on to the next one. Travis, who uh, wrote in a couple of shows back uh, ago about wanting to set up a network, uh, writes in with a little, little more clarification on what he wants. He says, in reply to EDL156, I'm looking to start with serving my personal music collection myself, 20 gigs of music currently and video and stuff in the future. 
I do plan on using Plex and will want to serve it, uh, serve myself inside and outside the home. I want something that is capable of doing more than just streaming audio to my uh, tablet or cell. I'm sure that my wife and kids will see what the system can do, and then they'll want to serve the media to themselves. Beyond this, I might be able to get by with a couple of Android box top devices at various TV locations. The box tops Ethernet into the network and display 4K resolution media. I've seen some for around 100 bucks each. Uh, you can get a Raspberry Pi for half of that and do the same job. Or a, a Roku for that price yeah. and have more than just Plex. Exactly. Uh, what what I would say Plex is, is definitely a way to go. But for me, for my music thing, I just gave it all to Google Music free. A 20 gigs, they, you won't have to pay for 20 gigs of music. You'll be able to throw that up there and it'll be available anywhere. You can stream it to yourself or play it locally. That's how I handled my music collection. Uh, so then he moves on. My question is, I want something that can serve up my media. Why can this not be also be my backup uh, NAS device? That can be. But you were asking about VMs and about uh, serving uh, servers and, and different and backup stuff. That th- now that we have a little more information, sure, a NAS device running Plex is exactly what you need. It mm-hmm. will serve. It'll it'll serve all your needs perfectly. He says, I would probably not get a pre-built NAS unless I can build one for less, because like you guys, if I can do it myself and save, I will. You probably can't save. You can probably buy a NAS cheaper than you could buy the components to build a NAS. Yep. Unless you have the extra hard drives lying around. You know, yeah. if you don't have to pay for the hard drives, then you can probably Well, even even if you don't have the hard drives and you're just going with the case motherboard processor RAM, you're still talking three, four hundred dollars. And that's an entry level on any of the yeah. the built in the or the pre built NAS boxes. So yeah, you can get a Buffalo box for that. Yep, and that's that's almost the price of the Drobo that I quoted for this too. Um, so yeah, you're 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 still floating in the same range. Yeah, and it, it, you know, and then it comes down to whether do you want to do it just to, for the fun of doing it, and that's fine. Or is money important? If money's important, um. I would just buy the box because uh, you're you're going to be at or about the same amount of money and you're going to have new equipment that you know works instead of cobbling together other stuff. Uh, and then he goes on to say, it sounds like you guys uh, think there will be an issue with the IO of the backup software versus streaming the media. Well, in the setup you were talking about before, yes. In this setup, no, you're going to be fine because you're going to have a dedicated chipset. Uh, all of those boxes, the Buffalo Drive or whatever, they're going to have a dedicated chipset for the server which is, you know, it's going to be on a, you know, a little piece of uh, flash RAM and then a different set of, of, of chipset for the, the backup. That's going to be fine. If you build your own and have an OS drive that, that uh, runs Plex and then another set of drives for your storage, you're going to be fine. Um, and then he goes on to say a KVM and VWare server sound uh, like they might be better than a virtual box as dynamic allocation would seem much better than just chunking up the box into virtual parts. Anyway, keep up the good work, and I look forward to hearing all the non-Linux stuff in every update. <laughs> so, uh, Travis, thank you for the update, for giving us a little more information, and I think I think that you're you're on the right path now. You don't need a big box with lots of different VMs on it. You just need a NAS, and and whether you build it or buy it, that's heading in the right direction. A NAS with Plex is going to solve your problems. And so that's going to be your server things. And then on the client side, um, a Roku, uh, a a Raspberry MC uh, running on Raspberry Pi, uh, an Android stick, lots of different client options. Yeah, you can even go with the, the, what is that, the Google 
what is that thing that you stick in the heart? Chromecast. Yeah, the Chromecast will probably even do most of it too. Yep, so, you can you can uh, you can Chromecast from Plex, absolutely. So yeah, you have plenty of options. The question now, the only thing that I would possibly you know raise a flag about and say, hey, you might want to pay attention to, is the I/O during the day when you have people streaming music out, and if you schedule your backups at the same time, you may run into staggering or um, staggered uh, video playback because the drives are spun are trying to read and write at the True. same time. Um, but most people, most backups are done off hours right. and you do a big one once and then little updates. So I don't think that's going to be a big issue. I just wanted to raise the flag because that could yep. be an issue if you have Absolutely. it set up on a wrong timetable for those backups to fire. Yeah, I have problems with doing large file transfers over the wireless in my house, uh, like these shows. I'll batch up a bunch of them and send them off to my my backup device and they're enough to kill the wi-fi so i have to schedule those to happen like during the day in my house during the days when nobody's here mm-hmm. I, you know the kids are at school and my wife and i are at work so i do everything between like 9 a.m and 3 p.m um you have to figure out what that time is for you yep okay and the last bit of listener feedback listener Easterner feedback boss uh which takes us into our discussions uh is from uh, Joe, who says that he is a hypocrite. <laughs> Thanks for admitting it, Joe. Hey, we all uh, are says, one way or another. Says, in case you haven't heard, you can now watch Netflix and Linux natively, but only in a development version of Chrome. I tried it in Manjaro, and it works. Works great. Puts the Wine version to shame. But this is uncomfortable for me because I always said that I could switch to Linux if Netflix was there. Um <laughs> Apparently, I'm a hypocrite. I like Linux a lot, but the main family computer will run Windows. But in a way, maybe Linux is partly to blame, especially with the spousal acceptance level. I put a Linux box in our classroom. Kids are homeschooled. But unfortunately, it was Ubuntu an Ubuntu derivative and tied to the 13.10 release. The Netflix workaround started crashing a lot, and then the repos were turned off when the nine-month support cycle was over. So I couldn't install or update anything. Maybe that's an endorsement for a rolling release. Now, if Linux had a great video editor, then maybe I'd switch. That's right. Keep moving the bar. Uh, if they did, uh, and if they did a great NLE comparable to Windows, then I might have to switch or find some other excuse. NLE, help me out, guys. Yeah, I don't know that one. NLE, no, nope. I don't know. No good. Uh, okay. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and then he says, "I will not be shamed by this. It's okay for me to like Windows." Said in a Stuart Smalley voice. I don't know who Stuart Smalley is. I'm out of the loop. Sorry. Yep. A nonlinear editing system is a video uh, or audio editing digital audio workstation. If I had spent any time uh, looking at that, I would have. Now, there is Lightworks um, has recently, not terribly recently, has been yep. open sourced. It was a commercial thing. It's been open sourced. It's been really worked on. The last time I looked at it, it wasn't ready yet. But it's darn close. Or it could stand opinion. for National Latin Exam, one of the two. That could be it, the <laughs> National Latin Exam. Um, video editing in Linux is a is a thing. It's yep. a problem. There are things out there, but tend, they tend to want to be workstations. They want to take over your whole machine. Yeah, and that's what, uh, so, that's what Lightworks will do. Um, right. And it does, the last time I played with it, which is about six months ago, it was absolutely the... And mind you, I'm not a very big video editor type person. Um, I actually was able to use it 
and do transitions and everything else. And before I left the school district to my start my current job, I left a bug in the guy's ear saying, this might be something for you guys to save some money on instead of paying your license fees for um, Adobe Premiere. Yep. Premiere or Avid or, you know, or yep. Final Cut Pro, those things are, those are the, the standards. And we, in the school where I worked, we used Premiere. Uh, it was great. It's, uh, but it's Windows or Mac only. Uh, Linux has, Linux doesn't have the iMovie or you know, the Windows Movie Maker, doesn't have the simple, I just want to edit stuff on my, uh, you know, for my family webpage thing. It doesn't have that right now. There, there are projects yeah. that try to be that, but they're not there yet. Uh, I think the cloud will get there before the desktop does, but then you have the problem of moving those large files. Yeah. Uh, so it's, it's, you know, it's going to happen. But it's not high on a lot of people's radar right now. Uh, well, and that that also boils back down to the money projects that we were talking about a couple of shows ago about how if people don't have funding to do these large code projects like a video editor would be, uh, it's just going to take time. So that's where we're at. Uh Carb M1 in the chat room asks, I wonder if the new uh, DRM stuff in Chrome Dev will let Amazon Prime streaming work again on Linux. Uh, that would be cool. Uh, a few, uh, maybe a year ago now, uh, Amazon Prime suddenly stopped working because yep. they DRM'd it. And then the Fire TV came out and everybody went, oh, that's why. Yep. Uh, <laughs> they don't want it everywhere because they want you to buy a Fire TV. Uh, I hope so. DRM and open source tend to be oil and water. They don't mix, but you know, maybe somebody can make a nice vinaigrette with it. There you go. <laughs> Shake it. Uh, and then moving, <laughs> moving on to the rest of, of his uh, email, he gets to the subject of torrents, which I thought uh, would be a whole show discussion. So that's, that's what we're talking about. Uh, he says, quote, uh, moving on with his email. I only recently learned to use a torrent client out of necessity because one particular Linux distro I wanted to try, Crunchbang, would only uh, be, could only be downloaded via torrent. From what I can tell, Linux distros are the only thing that it's legal to download. Everything else is pirated movies, games, or software. I looked at a torrent site and saw that some of the more popular movies can have tens of thousands of seeders. Are all those people risking trouble with the law for downloading or seeding torrents? The 20-somethings and younger will call it file sharing, quote-unquote. But to a 40-year-old, it's obviously stealing, and movie studios have a loss prevention divisions and an army of lawyers looking for thieves. Number one, are people prosecuted for downloading torrents? Number two, if they are, they're doing a horrible job of making an example out of scoff laws because I haven't heard of anyone going to jail. Number three, do people... Uh, spoof their IP addresses or use a VPN or some other way to hide. Their- I'm not asking for a tutorial. Number four, blank. Number five, do ISPs support activity to someone, report this activity to someone? You know, they monitor, you know, they monitor the traffic. Number six, blank. Number seven, yeah. what are some legitimate uses of torrents other than open source software? In his defense, those blanks might have been put there when I copied and pasted over. Um, <laughs> Uh, he moves on to say there are several XBMC plugins that are that are just ways to stream pirated movies instead of downloading uh, FreeNAS. Uh, excuse me, in, 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 streaming pirated movies instead of uh, downloading FreeNAS has an an addition add-in called Sickbeard that will download TV shows uh, both torrents and NZB. Is that all legal? I might be interested in just downloading the very few shows that I want to watch, but I don't want to go to jail so I can skip commercials without paying Comcast another twenty dollars a month for their crappy DVR. I'd like to hear your thoughts and opinions on torrents and fring slash privacy. You ask for opinions, Joe. Now you're in trouble. 
Oh yeah, it's the both barrels are op- are loaded and ready to go. So here here <laughs> you go. Um, t- just taking your points uh, from beginning to top. Are people being prosecuted for downloading torrents? Yes. Uh, the pirate yep. bay was literally run out of Sweden. Um, yep. <laughs> number two, if they are, they're doing a horrible job of making an example. Not true. Maybe you not don't true. know anybody going to jail, but it's, it is happening. They're not so much going to jail, but they're being fined big chunks. Millions um, of dollars. Yeah. Uh, do these people spoof their IP addresses? Some do. Most don't think it's worth the effort. Um, yep. And, and like you said, the kids today, kids today, um, they don't think it's wrong. It, when I was working in school with teenagers on a regular basis, it was amazing to me their sense of entitlement. It's there, I should have it, and I don't want to pay for it, so I'm going to steal it instead. And, and yeah. there, it just never crosses their mind. I might be taking money from somebody. I'm not stealing it. I'm copying it. How can copying it be wrong? Yep. Um, don't copy that floppy. <laughs> Electrons <laughs> want to be free. Yes. 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 I love um, being able to pull that one out. The next one, do ISPs <laughs> report this activity if they're asked? Yep. I don't know of any ISPs who are actively reporting, but people who, uh, you know, the, the Motion Picture Association of America can uh, uh, pull up Pirate Bay, just like anybody else can, can see all these people and say, show me were any of these people on your IP addresses, and if so, give me their names and addresses. And they are compelled to do it by law. Yep. Or go out of business. Or both. Um, and then he says, what are some legitimate uses of torrents other than open software? Well, um, there are lots of them. No, that's a lie. There are some of them. Uh, uh, software, open source projects, uh, the new BitTorrent Sync uses yep. the under- same underlying technology to do what Dropbox does. It's essentially torrenting. Uh, in a controlled scenario, uh, there are it's a technology, and like any technology, there will be good uses and bad uses. Um, so I wanted to break this down into a couple uh, of categories. Uh, first off, sharing isn't well. We, we okay. We'll we'll back up. Like I said, sharing isn't illegal. It's what you share, right? So yep. um, uh, using Kazaa or Napster was never <laughs> illegal. It was or Bear Share or any of those things. Um, Throwing something out in your Dropbox and sharing it to somebody else, none of these things are illegal unless you do something illegal with it. Just like a car is not illegal unless you mow somebody down while drunk. You know, so it uh, oftentimes, Intent. particularly Intent. lawmakers, tend to go a little nuts and ban the technology. VCRs, they tried to make VCRs illegal. And yep. so anybody who ever recorded a wedding video <laughs> wouldn't be able to watch it. Because the VCR was was almost deemed illegal, uh, and then the at the time the Supreme Court said, you know, it's not the technology; it's what people do with it. Uh, and so that that was a time when when the court system were smart. In the case of of the the recent Aereo case, exactly the same scenario. It's not the technology; it's what people were doing with it. The Supreme Court was not smart. They said, oh, people were doing illegal things with it, so the technology is illegal. <sighs> Frustrating. But another thing I wanted to make is the difference between legal and ethical. Many things are legal that are not ethical. And many things are ethical that are not legal. Uh, you know, and, and we can argue, for example, assisted suicide. Many people would say that is ethical but not legal. Medical marijuana use. Many people would say that is ethical but not legal. Same-sex marriages in most states in the country. Most There are people who say that is ethical but not legal. So there, there are distinctions between those two. 
So having just put up a bunch of lightning rods for hot button issues, I want to oh, drop geez. all of those now and say we're talking. <laughs> we're going to talk about file sharing and the difference between what is ethical and what is legal. Now, sure. one of my favorite TV shows for a long time, Stargate SG One, ran for ten years. Seven of them were really good. Three of them not so much. But I recorded every episode of that show as I had a legal right to do. So when it began in 1997, I was recording on videotape. Later, when I got a DVR, I was recording on DVR. I had a collection of every episode of Stargate SD-1. Sometimes I had uh, multiple copies of it uh, because I recorded, you know, every time it was on. Now, that was perfectly legal, perfectly legal and perfectly ethical. If I go out today and torrent all 10 seasons of Stargate SG-1, that is, by the letter of the law, illegal. Is it unethical? There's where I don't, I don't have a, uh, an answer. It was at one time broadcast over the airwaves for anybody who wanted it. At one time, I had a full copy of every episode of it. Yeah. Is it unethical for me to once again have a copy of every episode of it? Uh, frankly, personally, I'm just going to come right out there and say, no, I don't think so. When the content creators threw it out over the airwaves and said, here, take it, I don't think they have a right to take it back. But they do have a right. Legally, they have a right. So you, you run into these battles of, of that's the difference between legal and ethical. And, and people, uh, people can decide things are okay even if they're illegal uh, uh, through lots of different reasons. So when we talk about, for example, uh, Planet of the Apes, which is still in theaters right now, Rise of the Planet of the Apes, if I go and, and go to a website and grab a torrent of that, I believe that it's both illegal and unethical in my current set of ethics. But if I go grab the Cosby show, I'm having a hard time finding where that's unethical. What do you guys think? Well, especially when you look at that as the fact that you can't get them anywhere else. True. So you know, that's that's the other problem that you come into, when, especially with that particular argument, Mark. Um, you can't get the Cosby show. Or at least I don't think so. I haven't looked for it, but it's on the Hub Network and it's on Netflix. Okay. You can get it on Netflix. Well, if it's on, but Netflix is a, is a licensed media. You know, that's the difference between, you know, downloading it and streaming it is because one is you're owning a copy without paying for it. And one is you're streaming a license. You're, you know, licensed to view it one time. Any, every, every and any time you want to do it, as long as you have a current license with, or a current subscription with Netflix. As far as that, you know, way you go. Yeah, Seth, you, you are in many ways more ethical than I am, and I recognize that. What do you think of my Cosby show example? Well, I has, I was looking for the, you know, a lot of times you can't see them anymore because they're buried in the fine print, but this broadcast is licensed for the in-home uh, yes. viewing you know so technically if you are turning that around and then broadcasting it out to other people outside of your home you have violated the licensing agreement that you agreed to by watching it now if you are using torrenting has a way to share files with yourself as you travel or whatever and you know you take a reasonable step of passwording your torrent or something like that i do not think that that would be illegal or unethical but taking something and just giving it out there for free that had a license agreement i don't know if you know 
I would probably watch it. And I have actually done it before, pulled stuff down because I went to buy it and I couldn't find it. And I knew I could find a torrent. So I grabbed the torrent to watch it and I got rid of it. Um, and then like two weeks later, it was broadcast on TV again. So, uh, you know, it's one of those things. I think it would be at least on some level unethical to rebroadcast the Cosby show to people outside of your home. Okay. So that is the torrent cedar. All right. What about yep. me as the torrent consumer? Am I, am I violating my ethics by downloading a show that went off the air in the eighties? Well, by technicality, yes, you are because you're sharing the bits that you, the packets you download, you're also allowing them to go back out. Not necessarily. You can turn that off in any torrent client. True. You can be a black hole and, and not share. Yep. Yep. So that's, I mean, I guess, yeah, it's a tough one. I think that, it, but I'm also a, a younger kid as, as the, as the columnist will go. Um, I'm younger than all, than everyone here. Um, I think that if it's an, a no longer in print file video that you should be given the right to at least consume it locally but not rebroadcast it in a way that would be a monetary gain. You know, and then let's let's go with um, uh, books, right? There are books that are out of print. Um, I, I'm trying to think of an example, uh, but let's let's make up Alice. an example. Let's say the 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 Alice Martian, in Wonderland. Alice Same. in Wonderland. Well, or, Alice in Wonderland is old enough that their copyrights have expired. I'm trying to think of something that's still in copyright but out of print. Um, and that happens with music and it happens with books often. I yeah, can't, right. I can't pay you to get it. There is nobody to pay to get this thing, but I can go get it for free if I want it. Um, and right. that's, you know, that's the problem that these laws, uh, produce. Uh, prime example, just this, uh, last, uh, weekend, my wife came home with three new DVDs. We, we're still, we still do that around our house. So my typical thing, as soon as we get a DVD, is I rip it, I put it on my media center. Um, this time, we wanted to watch it right away. It was Friday night, movie night. We had the pizza. So we popped in the DVD. I had to sit through the previews that I couldn't fast forward through. I had to sit through the FBI warning. I had to sit through the, the copyright warning. And, and I turned to my wife and said, this is why people pirate. 17 minutes of my time has now been wasted on stuff that I don't want. I bought the movie. I freaking own it now. I should have the right to pop it in any device I own and play it without watching all this garbage. And it just really, it drove home the point of why people, you know, it, the, the experience is better with piracy, particularly yep. with something like, uh, like a torrent. Say I, the, um, the movie, uh, I bought was, you know, probably not something that's going to be on torrent. It's a, it's a, a Kirk Cameron religious movie. And, you know, I, I would be surprised to find that out there. But if, let's say I was doing, um, Gladiator. All right. Just to pick right. a movie. So the experience of firing up a torrent, getting a, a few minutes of it queued up and hitting play is easier, faster, and more, and, and more better. Um, then, then the experience of going to my cabinet, pull, uh, searching for the DVD, pulling it out, putting it in the machine and watching all the previews for movies that are going to come out seven years ago. But you know what else is faster, easier and better? Just getting in a car and driving it without bothering to learn how to do that. It's a lot faster, a lot easier. Who needs rules? Just get in the car and go. 
Well, that I don't. I, that's a specious argument. Find yeah, a better argument. Quite. Well, but see, but here's the thing. You know, there are licensings, and those things you hate to watch, and I hate to watch, and everybody hates to watch, explains the legality. Um, you know, or at least that's what they're there for. And so you say people are ignorant of the law. Well, the reason we're ignorant of the law is because we choose not to watch when the law is broadcast. And ignorance is no excuse, right? That- well, okay, I, I have a thought. Just just on a, a moment of, of thought brilliance, I think. Um, no, we don't would, think would, on this show. <laughs> but maybe this this could also ops, this could be a way to for this a way around this. The biggest problem that any of these organizations have is the fact that they get shared back out to other people. Correct? Yeah. That's their biggest problem. So what if they had um private FTPs that people could download them from? You know, it, it would eliminate the torrent because it's stuffed in a, a server that has more than enough bandwidth. Well, you know, a lot of DVDs now come with a digital copy, um, and they're trying. Right. They're they're paying lip service to this, but the digital copy is difficult to actually get to, and almost never works on Linux. In my experience, I can't I can't actually use this digital copy that you're giving me. But what I can do is pull out Handbrake, rip it, and have a digital copy I can use anywhere. Yep, it's sad, but that's the way the world is right now. So that's what I do. I rip it. I throw it on my Plex server. I watch it anywhere. I watch it, you know, at a hotel. I watch it in my living room. I watch it because I have the right to do that. I purchase the media. It is private, non-commercial home use. Well, I guess technically it's hotel use, right? Um, <laughs> anywhere that I can take the thing. Um, but, you know, and then let's say, I sticking with the Gladiator version, let's say I loan my DVD of the Gladiator to somebody for eight months. Technically, I shouldn't be able to watch, I, I shouldn't allow myself to watch my ripped copy until I get my other copy back. If I'm, if I'm following the letter of the law. Right. I don't do that. I loan it. And then if I want to watch it, I still watch it. I am a, a scoff law, um, there. <laughs> and, and yes, I, sure, that is by definition wrong. And I will, I will accept the, the fact that I am a wrongdoer in that. But I think that part of the problem, is that they the people who produce content make it, make doing it the right way so much harder than doing yeah, it the wrong way. They do. So if well, I, and look at Blu-ray. Look at Blu-ray for that matter. Blu-ray is an encrypted media from point A to point B. There is no easy way of ripping a Blu-ray. You unless you want to pay for the private software to do it. There is no native way of ripping it. Yep. Which is why I don't buy Blu-rays. I buy DVDs because right. I can rip them. Yeah. Well, well there's you know, ways to do Blu-rays, but we won't go into detail. I used to uh, loan CDs to people uh, until they told me, oh, yeah, let me rip this and I'll give it back to you. Yeah. I was like, what? And so, you know, consequently, um, I still buy the occasional CD. I don't tell anybody I buy them because I'm not going to let anybody borrow it. Because if I loan you something and then you rip it, to keep in your collection then you have stolen now i mean technically but all i did was copy that's not stealing but you consume something without it being purchased right and and, and I, I you know i've i've gone off the socialist bent here i want to say that i i totally agree with this point as a content creator right i, I un, you have the right to get paid for right. your media 
right? Which is why I buy DVDs and I buy CDs still uh, to this day, uh, or I will download it. And then often, uh, he- here's my process. When I buy something from iTunes or from Amazon or from Google Play, I buy it, burn it to a CD, rip it off the CD so that I have an MP3 I can play anywhere because of the stupid uh, restrictions on devices I can play it on. Uh, but I have bought it. I have paid for it. And so, you know, mm-hmm. I, I have a, a collection of almost 300 DVDs and I've paid for them. Um, and so I, I don't want to go uh, be misunderstood here as saying I'm all for, for, for piracy. But there, there are times when I don't have the option to buy it. And so then you run into that, that gray area. Which is the which is where a lot of people live is in the gray. Now I don't and I you know personally I'm with you, Mark. When I go and out and get something, my any of my movies that I buy now, we always buy the combo pack where we get the Blu-ray and the DVD version. Um, just for the simple fact that if I want to rip a copy, I can, and I have the license to do that according to uh, whatever that copyright laws where you have the right to make a digital backup yeah except except well i mean we're talking about u.s law here so yes uh, yes i do have the right to make a backup i don't have the right to break the encryption i can't make a backup unless i break the encryption there is currently no legal way to copy a dvd it's it's legal to have a copy it's not legal to make a copy so every one of my every one of my files on my media center is a felony Mm mm-hmm which is horrible because, but that's the way it is. And you know, Mark, you and me both know what's the main reason you want you went to digitizing all your media because my kids were mine. ruining my DVDs. Exactly, I lost ten movies to my son when he was a little, when he was a youngster, and he was trying to be helpful and do his, you know, put the DVDs in himself. So he broke ten DVDs. So I ended up having to replace them. Now with Plex and the fact that I ripped them. My daughter, who has, you know, she used DVDs for a couple of, for a year, and now all that she's ever dealt with is me, is something streamed. So that also goes back to the fact that once we have bandwidth to the last mile that with, you know, of ample amount, I think the physical media will no longer be an issue because bandwidth will be there for everybody. All right. So you brought up a great, Legal versus ethical thing here. So this is another discussion. So yep, you you have um, I'm going to pick a movie. Uh, you have uh, Alice in Wonderland on DVD. Yep. Your daughter wants to watch Alice in Wonderland. She destroys the DVD in the process of trying to be helpful. Yep. Now, is it wrong to go download a torrent of that? You've already purchased it. You already have the rights to it. Your physical media has been broken. You're now using the torrent site as your backup. Legal? No. Ethical? I don't know. That's one it's of those great. things I have a hard time with. It's very great because in that, with that particular thought, technically, if you still have the DVD and the case, and you know, I know there's going to be some lawyer or somebody whose legalese is better than me is going to say you have to have the sales receipt, um, but. If I have the broken DVD and the case and the UPC code that went with it, why can't I replace it with a, a digital copy? Seth, what do you um, think about that? See, I this is one of those things where I would I think it is ethical if you own something that and then it gets broken. You know, golly, that's because you're allowed to. Ha- <laughs> yeah, I, I mean- wouldn't see a problem with it, but it would be illegal. 
Right. And, but I think it's stupid because let, let's say I have, um, you know, from when VHSs were the big deal, I have a case of VHS tapes in my room, uh, in the upstairs uh, that have been unair conditioned for 10 years, uh, through 10 Texas summers. What do you think the chances are that those VHS tapes or those CD cassette tapes still function good? Zero. Right. But I own <laughs> Guaranteed. them. And so, you know, and I did not, if I would have made copies of them beforehand, I would say I have those copies, but because I haven't and they probably don't work, then what am I to do? I own them. I have this broken piece of garbage, plastic, you know, cancer carcinogen giving off because it melted, uh, you know, so I'm slowly dying of cancer because my plastic is all melted in my room, but I should be able to still access that media somehow. Yeah. And, and, and the, the content creators would say you have to go buy that copy of short circuit that you bought in 1987. Uh, you now have to go buy it on DVD. Doesn't matter that you owned it. They want you. And you know, the Beatles, um, there's, there are people who've bought the white album seven times as media yep. has changed. They bought it on LP. They bought it on eight track. They bought it on cassette. They bought it on CD. Now they bought it on, on, uh, 96 kilobit. Then they bought it on 128 kilobit. And then they, now they bought it on the new flax that are being released. Um, uh, and this is great if you're, um, Whoever owned, I don't know who owns their rights. This is great if you own the rights to the Beatles because these yep. people are now buying stuff several times. But the question then, you know, if I had the original, here's a great one. So the LP, right? Uncompressed audio. If I bought that LP, that uh, for you kids out there, that's a record. It's a black disc that spins and you put a needle on it. Yep. So if I owned that uncompressed analog, do I have the right to go download the flack lossless uncompressed version out there. I'm downloading the exact thing that I have, the uncompressed audio that I've already purchased. Is that okay? Legally? No, it's illegal. Morally, ethically, that's a different question. It is. And I'm a, personally, I'm of the like that I would say if I've already purchased it, you know, and I could hand, show up. DVDs and CDs of everything you know that I own I think it's okay. Yeah. And you know and then you you go back to the legalese the burden of proof it's now up to the DA to prove that the copy on your machine didn't come from the hard drive uh, from the CD in your case before mm-hmm. it got broken. But then you know that's being legalistic instead of ethical. And yep. I tr- I pride myself on being an ethical person. But when you get into this area I have to admit, I don't know. It's tough. It's tough. And especially since it's so easy to do, uh, to be a, a pirate or as far as that goes. Yeah. Um, th- you know, and it's not like it's going out of style or the programs are hard to run. I mean, for goodness gracious, there for a long time, how hard was Kazada to run? Yeah. At, at first, mean, yeah, it was difficult. Well, but I mean, but it, it got to the point where you literally type something in and you had a copy within right. a few hours. Um, and the trouble with, with kids who grew up, you know, digitally native is they don't know the difference between, um, Kazaa and Spotify where you type yep. in what you want and you get it. Right. So Spotify has gone out and, and made deals and paid money for that. Uh, yeah, is a stupid example. It doesn't exist anymore. I don't know what, I don't, I'm sure there is still some music sharing thing 
out there. Maybe it's done through torrents now. I don't know. Well, I mean, is LimeWire or FrostWire, are they still around? I don't know. I know they were a couple years ago. That's the best I can you know, tell you. How about, how about all those YouTube videos where somebody uh, makes a YouTube video of an audio of an MP3, right? So that's what kid, that's where they go for their music now. They go to YouTube. Every one of yep. those is illegal. Every single one. And they get pulled down because of it, too. I don't know how many times I've went to, uh, you know, like uh, with that latest Frozen video. Yeah. And there, you know, there's a handful of, you know, two or three from the actual audio people that actually own the rights. And then there's hundreds of extra ones that are not. The original Rickroll video is gone now. A piece of internet history was taken down by DMCA. Which is horrible. I think that was an actual absolute horosity um, for that to happen. That's a good word. You you like that one? To to go back to the issue of, of uh, well, one other thing I wanted to point out. So I did my Stargate SG-1 and my Cosby things. Now let's go with Sopranos and Game of Thrones. Those were only on HBO. Yep. If I have a copy of those and I didn't have a copy of HBO, I find that both clearly illegal and immoral. But if I had a copy of HBO when The Sopranos was on, or had a subscription to HBO when The Sopranos was on, had the opportunity to make copies, maybe I did make copies, and I go torrent those now so that I, you know, get the copies not on video cassette but on on computer. Now suddenly I'm running into an ethical dilemma. Yep. Well, the other thing that comes up with that is a lot of times those are released on DVD, Blu-ray copies after the fact anyway. Right. Yeah. So, so that's a case where you can't say I couldn't get it if I wanted it. That's a case where right. that argument is taken away. I could go buy the Sopranos. I could I I could probably go get the Stargate SG One stuff. Uh, and yep. pay for it. I'm sure it's on elementop.com uh, slash Amazon. Uh, but, you know, do, should I have to? That's a different question. But, uh, Chris, I, I wanted you to share your story about file sharing <laughs> because it answers one of Joe's questions. Yep, it does. Um, and I, I was telling to Mark and Seth before we started this that I hope I don't end up with uh, some friendly people with letters on their backs. Uh, when I get done with my little stories. So personally, I still torrent all my deep, my Linux distros and I have since the beginning, you know, back when torrents were available for all my distros, I've been doing it. I also, though, back in the two thousands, in the early, the late nineties and early two thousands, I was one of those media stealing people. Um, I had Kazaa running 24-7. I had private FTPs um, of, of people's file servers that had, you know, at that time it was hundreds of gigabytes was an impressive file server list. And I did download stuff illegally and didn't even think anything of it. But that changed really fast when I received a cease and desist letter from the guys who owned uh, owned the rights to Happy Gilmore. What a terrible movie to get caught pirating. I know. It was horrible. <laughs> um, and it was just like, I can't believe that I got, you know, it was just one of those moments where I didn't realize that what I was doing was wrong because, you know, the movies were being on TV. I right. and, and, you know, I was just pulling stuff down. Um, but it was it was interesting, though, how fast your world shifts when you realize that, yeah, your stuff is tracked and you can be picked out of the lot and, and, you know, you get tagged for it. 
And then for a little bit, I ended up going with, like I said before, the private FTPs because that traffic um, is harder to get caught with. Uh, you can still be tracked down. Uh, and same thing with the private torrent sites and everything else. The only one that I found that was at that time that was worth a darn for security wise was a program called waste. And I'll let you guys look that up over at Wikipedia because I'm not going to go into details about it, but that protocol was, um, a very interesting protocol to dig into. And I actually helped maintain that one for a couple of months. So, yeah, <laughs> I, hence the, uh, for anybody who's watching us on the, the, uh, audio or the, the live show, I've been wearing the pirate hat for the whole thing. And there's a reason. Uh, I had a letter saying I needed to stop pirating or else. Yeah. And, and I have known people. I haven't gotten one personally. Uh, cause I, when I was using Napster and Kazaa and BearShare and those things, and I did, um, I didn't, upload because i'm a cheapskate i'm a leecher and so i've never gotten one of those letters but i know two people who have and they get the letter that says here's the list of files that we know you had can't hide from it here it is here's the username or server name or whatever that you had we know it's you yeah you can either go to court or stroke a check for five thousand dollars and we'll make it all go away and uh, two of these people that I know personally wrote the check and made it go away. Um, and so, you know, that was an expensive free thing for them. Yeah. And see, I was lucky when I was doing it. It was back when they were still doing the cease and desist letters before they were, you know, they would send the cease and desist. And then if you stopped, they didn't do any more prosecution. Um, but yeah, I was one of those people that got the letter way back when saying either you cease and desist or you will be prosecuted. Yeah. And we haven't even talked about the dark net of porn that's out there. I mean, that's, that is, I'm guessing 80 to 90% of what file sharing is. Right. So, you know, often you're, you're, you're doing something illicit that may or may not be illegal um, in a way that is, May that is illegal, but may or may not be unethical. You know, it's hard to bring ethics into a porn discussion. Um, but it's you know th- these are the things. The fact is, people want stuff and they don't want to pay for it. And yeah. sometimes it's just I don't want to pay for it. Sometimes it's I don't want to admit I like it. Right. So you know, porn is still like the number three uh, search for thing on Google. But if you ask oh, yeah. you you survey a thousand people, nine hundred ninety eight of them will tell you I never search porn on Google. A large percentage of those people are liars. Oh, yeah. You know, statistics show. So porn is one of those things everybody, uh, not everybody, but for generalities, everybody wants, but nobody wants to to be known that they want. So that's why these things, you know, uh, these file sharing, these things uh, uh, keep going, you know, and and sure, Hurt Locker is a a thing that's out there and and made a big, big story. But really, the, the, the primary thing that makes the Internet go is porn. Um, and Which that's a whole sad different to story. Say. Yeah. It's sad. To, it's really sad to even say that, but it's the truth. I mean, I remember, um, looking through server logs, you know, and this is at a school when I first started and just seeing all of the searches and, it, you know, the common word phrasing that would come out of the, the log files would just blow my mind. And I'm like, this is at a school. 
these are, uh, I understand they're teenage boys and yeah, that, yeah. you know, that's just what they're going to go looking for. But man, at school <laughs> or the yeah. public library? Yeah. I had a yeah, conversation with a, with a young student one time, um, who got, got brought into my office and I had to produce evidence that he had, had been doing something, uh, sorted. And, mm-hmm. uh, and he said, you know, basically, uh, I've been doing this for years and you've never caught me before. And I said, oh, yeah, I knew you were doing it. But if I shut you down, I wouldn't be able to find all the other people that were doing it, too. So, you know, guys who are who are you're, the tech guys who are in charge of it, just because they haven't shut you down doesn't mean that it's because they don't know about it. And, you know, the feds may be the same way They they will let the little guys who's seeding three things go because the guys who are seeding three things will point them to the guys who are seeding 17 terabytes of data. Yep. And those right. are the ones they want to shut down. So just because you haven't gotten a letter doesn't mean you haven't gotten caught. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, you know, back when I was doing things like this, when we started moving to f- private FTPs, um, man, that traffic would have been very difficult to track through because it was secured. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there, we, we did key handshakes, you know, PGP handshakes for that stuff. So... I don't know how they would find that stuff now. And I'm sure there's other things now out there that are just as secure. Well, they they find it the same way you found it, right? They get in and they, they follow the links and they get to that private server and then they shut down the private server. You know, and, and the we all can 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 pay the price for this because it, it has happened a few times that the feds send an order to a data center and say, bring me this server. Well, there's 500 websites on this server. Yep. And they, they shut down that one, absolutely. But a lot of other people pay the price, too. And then, then, you know, that person moves off because they're not, you know, legally held accountable because they're out of state or out of country. And they move off to a different server site, and boom, they're back up. Or, you know, five more replace them. So the, there isn't a, a point here that, that, you know, it was, like I said initially, there's just going to be a discussion. There's... There, there's a lot of you're swimming in a sea of gray in this, and I try to be as much as possible a black and white person. But this is one of those issues where I fall down. But yeah, I, you know, you know, I don't know. Some people would argue, whether it's a good argument or not, that you are attempting to make it gray to right, excuse I'm your own behavior. Exactly. So uh, you know, it, it and it's just one of those things. You know, to kind of like you say, there's a lot of things out there, and honestly, the whole torrent system is the spirit that the internet was founded in, not a client server model, but a distributed model. One of the great things about the torrent thing is there's not this one huge server that houses everything. Everybody has a little bit and they, they trade as they need. Hey, I've got two parts of this. Can I get that one part from you when I need it? And it's right there. And you know, there's some things that they don't mind. You know, there's videos that are freely available and music that's freely available, lectures, things like that. Torrents are great for them because, you know, you don't need them today. You can just kind of set your torrent to slowly gather the things over a few days, and then it's there when you need it in two weeks from now. But yet you didn't, you know, cause a huge spike in network traffic. Yeah, so we didn't talk about the technology of the torrent and why it's a good thing. So why right. why are most DVD uh, ISOs, DVD ISOs for, for Linux projects available as torrents? Because when you torrent, one copy is pulled off a server. Then that copy is distributed to multiple people. So you have seeders and you have 
uh, peers. Uh, so as a seeder, uh, I have a, a full copy of the thing. Mm-hmm. Somebody can pull part of that from me and part of it from 50 or 60 other people. I don't feel the full 7 t- uh, gigabyte download of you pulling Linux Mint off of my my server, off of my laptop, um, and neither does anybody else. I feel you know a 500K byte, and somebody else feels a 500K byte, and somebody else feels a 500K byte, so that in the end, you have assembled a full copy of the 7 gig image. Yep. So that's why torrenting is great. Uh, and why it's a great technology and why people like to use it. And and, and like uh, Joe said, the CrunchBang, uh, when he tried to get it, that was the only way to get it because CrunchBang doesn't want to host a server. They don't want to pay the bandwidth. They don't have yeah. to. They see the torrent and their, you know, their development team, all, you know, say 20 people are seeding that same thing. Well, that gets seeded now. Uh, and as, as we've mentioned before, the default behavior of a torrent client is to seed as you download as soon as you get a chunk of a file you make that chunk available and most torrent systems reward you for uploading so the more you yep. the faster you upload the more you upload the more they let you download if you cut off uploading they drop your download speed so you're 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 punished for being a leech and you're rewarded for being a seeder it's a great system it's elegant it's beautiful it works and like so many other things, an elegant system has become the seedy underbelly of the internet, which is what happens in general for this. Because it, you know, it, it's just like everything else; it's going to happen. The question is, is you know, where is it going to come from? Yeah. So let's say I wanted to do an archive of every back copy of Everyday Linux. Uh, right now, I have it all on on my server. You can go get it. All 157 previous episodes. You can go download it. I'm going to take a hit of that on my on my bandwidth and my you know it's going to dry it's going to slow everything else down and at some point when the data gets so big the server service uh, provider that I that I rent space from is going to come to me and say look this is too much these people are going back so what I could do is bundle that all up into a tor- torrent seed that and then b- pay for a fraction of the bandwidth Whereas you guys are distributing the bandwidth for me. That, lots of people do that, and it's a brilliant yeah. and it's a, uh, a useful thing. Uh, that's how BitTorrent Sync is so good. No one person has to have the whole file. Y- you can assemble the whole out of pieces. Um, so I, I wish we had done that at the top of the show uh, and discussed a little bit about what torrenting is. And that's how the, the, the file sharing, Napster, because those all work the same way torrenting came out of that technology that peer-to-peer i think nutella might have been the very first one to do that i think i think so yeah and so they they pioneered this process of the of gathering bits and pieces and assembling them in the client um and it's 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 a good thing it's useful but again the porn industry and the the piracy industry just took over with it Mm -hmm. well and it's just it's too hard to monetize you know the people who own the copyright then there is no way for them to get theirs off of it, you know? So that's why it doesn't work in the payment model that we have. But here's another thing is we talk about going digital and, you know, companies want to give you metered access to the internet. So if you have everything up on a server and it's not at your place, then you're going to have to pay to access stuff that you own. You had to pay to get it, and then you want to pay every time you see it. Yep. That's that's and, and so you had to pay to upload it, right? So yeah, they'll yep. get paid three times off of that, and you know that's the model they want because they get more money that way. And 
you know, we don't want that. The whole peer to peer thing. I mean, you still, you can't get rid of, you can't get over the cost that way, but it's just a, it's a great way to one. I mean, imagine that, you know, if there's like Google is in California and of course they have data centers all over the world, but you know, if there's some place and if they're hosting, if everything is hosted in California and you're in Florida and you want to access that, that data has to travel all across the country. And if somebody in Texas wants to access it, that data has to travel halfway across the country. So it's leaving California twice in a peer to peer model. The Texas guy gets it and the Florida guy gets it from Texas. So you've cut the internet bandwidth in half. But the problem is, how does Google get paid twice for that? Yeah. And, you know, and I mean, legally, they have a right to get paid because, but yeah, so it's one of those ethically, it, the payment structure, the, the payment system that is the de facto standard of the Internet does not match the uh, structure the Internet was designed to maintain. So how do we fix that? Yeah, the internet was created by a bunch of hippies, you know, free love and, and, and <laughs> free internet and, and electrons want to be free. And then it collided with, with business. You don't get nothing for free. You got to pay for air. Um, at, at the gas station, you literally have to pay for air. Um, and so th- that's, we're seeing this, you know, uh, I can't remember the person who said it. It says the, the internet sees censorship as damage and routes around it, uh, is the famous quote. And, and, yep. you know, and it, it sees censorship. It sees, uh, and, and sent, and wanting you to pay for a copy of a DVD is a form of censorship. I'm censoring your right to get to that unless you pay me. Um, it's censorship that we all consider to be okay. I, th- I don't think anybody, except maybe the extreme Stalinists, would say that it's wrong to make money for producing Toy Story. Those guys spent a lot of time and effort. They created something unique and unusual and brilliant. They deserve to make money off of it. Uh, but those same people would probably say that, you know, the, the extreme guys would say that I also have the right to a free copy of it anytime I want. And that's those two ideals collide. Yeah. And they collide in the form of Pirate Bay. What Pirate Bay does, they host nothing, nothing in terms of files. They host links to other, they don't even host the torrents themselves. They host links to other people who have the torrents. They're a library. They're a card catalog. You go there and you say, oh, if I want Hurt Locker, I can go to this place and start finding it. I thought they, no, they, they, they did host the .torrent file though, didn't they? I don't think so. Not anymore. I mean, they used to, but not anymore. Oh, okay. Now they just host links to other torrent files or magnet files. Um, and so you can, you can say, I have this pirate bay. Uh, I'm, I have this torrent file somewhere. And, and the, the thing is, what's crazy is you can actually get a torrent file through torrenting using a magnet link. So yep. you don't actually have to have the torrent file. You can have a link that points to a torrent where the torrent is so that you can get the torrent. It's brilliant, uh, in terms of, of the engineering. Um, well, and I bet in those magnet files are the reason that, you know, that they were a sidestep because people were blocking the dot torrent files. Yep. So crazy, absolute craziness. So the, the engineers are smarter than, than the lawyers most of the time. Uh, and so the Joe, yes, you could probably go get whatever you wanted and the odds are in your favor of not getting caught. But don't but, hold us 
accountable yeah. for that. <laughs> but know that you are breaking the law. And more than that, you may be breaking, you may not, you may be doing what's wrong as well as what's illegal. Right. So, uh, and, and the reason but, I make this distinction, Dr. King, Dr. Martin Luther King spent his life breaking the law for what was right. He did nothing wrong. He did things illegal. I'm not going to say he did nothing wrong, but in terms of the, the, the sum of boycotts and all those sort of things, what he did was illegal. He, he sat at the front of the bus, Rosa Parks, you know, that was illegal, but it wasn't morally, ethically wrong. So there, there are times when things are illegal. Right things are illegal and wrong things are illegal. Lots of IRS uh, loopholes are wrong, but they're legal. So that's why I wanted to make that distinction. And I want to talk more about ethics than I do about legality. Trouble yeah. with ethics, though, is it's a moving target. Ethics are different from social group to social group. You know, and as we've said, the 40-somethings on this panel have a different set of ethics than our 20-something listeners. Uh, and yeah. so it's, 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 it's a moving target. Laws are designed to codify ethics because ethics move. So that's why we have laws that codify ethics. But, you know, laws move too, and sometimes ethics move in ways that laws don't, and sometimes laws move in ways that ethics don't. So it's a difficult uh, mess, to, uh, can of worms to open up. But it's one that we all have to deal with because my uh, uh, 11-year-old daughter can access all kinds of illegal content, unethical content, not knowing. Because in, in, you know, in all of her life, I have shielded her and said, this is wrong, so I'm not going to let you do it. She gets out on the Internet. Those filters aren't there. She can do wrong things. Yep. And because it's permissible, she assumes it's acceptable. And, you know, we all have to make that challenge, that, that change. We have to understand not everything that is permissible is acceptable. Not everything that I'm allowed to do is right. And the Internet is the, the, the beacon of that which is able, that it, which is possible but not right. And so we need to understand in our own lives and our own homes what we will do and say, you know, as Picard did, the line will be drawn here, this far, no farther. And we have to make that stand. And we also need to understand that other people are drawing other lines. Uh, and, and it's in it, the lines move. Yes. Anytime I can invoke Captain Picard, I consider it a good show, <laughs> which is another great example. I owned at one point in time. I no longer have all those videotapes. I owned every episode of Star Trek, the next generation. Yep. All I seven seasons. I think it was not so, enough seasons. I know that. Yeah. So if I go torrent that, am I wrong? Yes, according to the law. Yeah, but I think I, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna be honest. I'm all about being honest. I am in the process of torrenting Stargate uh, Star Trek: The Next Generation because I want to watch them. And I, then there's I can go to to Amazon probably and buy it, but because I once had it legally, I have a torrent loaded right now for the for all seven seasons of Star Trek: The Next Generation. Well, see, I guess it would kind of come down to how did how did they pass from your possession? They were erased or destroyed or, you know, they were okay. on videotapes. So one episode did, erased the next episode. But did you give those tapes to someone else? No, of course not. Okay. They were destroyed. Okay. So, I, yeah, I'm not making another copy. I, and so that that's, like Seth said, that's the rationalization I use to... To say that my illegal behavior is okay. 
I, I, some of you out there are appalled by that. Others of you are not. But again, I'm being honest. That's the choice I've made. I, I'm, I, I'm not going to keep them forever. I just want to watch them for a while, and then I'll delete them. If I decide that I want to make them part of my uh, permanent collection, I'll go buy the box set. But right now, I just have a hankering to watch some of the old stuff. So I'm going to watch it, and then after you know weeks or months when I get tired of it, I'll delete it. You know, they're primed, right? Yeah, I'm sure they are, but I can't watch Prime on my Raspberry Pi. No, yeah. Which is the other problem. Well, oh, that, that's another good thing. You have the right to access them because of your Prime membership, but your technology <laughs> precludes that. Therefore, are you wrong to substitute a different technological delivery system? Yeah, there you go. So I filtered my actions through my own personal BS meter, and I came up green. You, you may not. <laughs> Your BS meter's green, huh? I, I think they have a cream for that. Well, it's red, yellow, and green. <laughs> and right now, I'm green. Uh, if I wanted to do the same thing with tor- uh, with Sopranos, that would come up red. I wouldn't do that. Um, and well, that's where I draw the, my own personal line. Well, see, because Sopranos has been syndicated, and you can watch that on like either basic cable or regular TV. So. Yeah. Maybe that should and move to at prime. least yellow because it would and depend on which torrent you got. Yeah. Oh, and, and it's, it's on Prime. So and there it's we go. primed. <laughs> so humans are really good about about making decisions and then rationalizing the reasons we made that decision. Yep. Later. It's, hor- uh, it's we're, it's we're one horrible. We're horrible. Yeah. It's, um, yeah. It's a gift and a curse. And the the problem is. The the whole uh, MPAA and all the other acronym, acrimonious piece of garbage organizations out there, you know, it's like you're guilty unless you can prove somehow you might have been innocent. But you're starting off guilty and the burden is on you to prove your innocence. And, you know, if if it was just like, hey, you got caught, you know, the price to stream that is $10 a month membership. You've been torting for a year, fark over $120 plus a $50 administrative fee. You know, the problem is they make the penalty for something that may or may not be illegal. They make the penalty. I mean, it's like you stole a pop tart. You're hung in the square at noon it is kind of is the sledgehammer approach they've taken. Yeah, it's iron glove. It's yeah. definitely an iron glove way of doing things. Cause I think, you know, for me personally, I would be all right with if you, you know, let's say we'll use a Star Trek reference here. Um, if I wanted to, to torrent Star Trek, okay, well, I could also buy the box set for the same price. But if I don't know that it's available and get busted, I think I should have to pay the cost of the box set plus a ticket fee or administrative fee, like you just said, I think that would be a fair model because then not only do you not go to, you know, the poverty house because you, everyone's up in the poverty house anymore. But as a, as a content provider, you're not interested in reclaiming the cost. You're interested in stopping the behavior. So it's not like they, they say, all right, we'll just pay us, pay us what you would have paid us. They're not actually interested in the money. They're interested in stopping the behavior. Right. Which is not going it, to, it's going to, it's going to be a constant fight then too. Yeah. Because yeah, you can knock the, the fight out of a couple of people, but you have how many billions of people 
in the world. I mean, wouldn't what what I would love to pay for? I would pay fifty bucks a month for a a legal torrenting service that you know just has stuff out there from from not just, you know from RCA and 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 uh, everybody you know right. So they go out there and they uh, like Netflix does. That's what I have in Netflix in a sense. I have a legal torrent. So Netflix makes these deals. The deals come and go. The content's there. I can stream it. I can not stream it. I, I think there's a market there, uh, for, you know, like a Spotify, for somebody to do that with movies and say, you know, here's a $50 all-you-can-eat uh, thing. You can, have these, you can have these files, and we're going to put expiration dates in the files so that they eat themselves. You know, that would be something that I might do, right? Um, but... Nobody's going to agree with that. No, uh, no uh, everybody wants to get their own piece of the pie. They don't want to share the pie, um, right? And you know, again, there there might be some technological. Uh, somebody will short circuit the timeout, and then you have this thing that's out there for free. And that's what people would say. Well, if we do that, it's going to be out there for free. Your stuff is already out there for free, even before it hits the theaters. I, there's, I can't remember the website, but I logged onto it uh, a while back just out of curiosity, like years ago. There was this website where I could watch movies that were in the theaters now. One of them used on to the, be Quicksilver Screen. Quick, yeah, I remember that one. Yeah, Quicksilver Screen. Uh, I I watched like five minutes of uh, uh, the Will Smith vampire one. I am Legend, right? Yeah. And so every minute or so, a crawl would come across the screen that lets you know that this was ripped off of a uh, uh, Academy Awards uh, DVD, a pre-release. So this, so these, they send these things to the Academy member so they can vote, and they want to have, they want to be able to do that before the movie hits the theaters. Well, somebody had uploaded this to QuicksilverScreen.com, or and, uh, you'll see somebody get up and walk across the bottom of the screen. Right, that, or you might see something where um, it's a pre-cut, and there's actually a scene in there where there's still a green screen. That the CGI hasn't been put in yet. Yeah, um, I've heard people. I haven't seen that, but I've heard people say that. Now I uh, have actually seen that. Yeah. Um, the Stargate movies they made. Um, I bought them because I wanted to support the series, but I also watched them on that. And there was a scene where I knew because I had seen the movie. There's this wall of fire. Um, and it's you're you're looking at this blue wall, and in white letters it says "Wall of Flames." So. <laughs> <laughs> Nice. So the, my point is, the things are already out there. So instead of trying to put the genie back in the bottle, figure out how we can hire that genie out as as a maid service. You know, figure out a way to make money off of it. You guys are good at that. You're good at making money. Figure that out. Instead of wielding the big hammer, and and you know, like Napster was co- uh, accused constantly of suing their own customers, and. Uh, and that's you know that's what they were doing. People, it was proven time and time again through through uh, all a, a number of longitudinal studies that people who pirate music tend to pay more for music because they would yeah. look at it and they would they would use the torrent, the pirate sites, the file sharing sites as ways of discovering new music. And if they liked it, they would pay for it. Um, that was so me. there's Microsoft made a lot of money um, because hate when Halo Two came out, there was a uh, French version that was like hacked and released early and some friends of mine had it. I played that and I so enjoyed it that the next day on my way home from work, I bought an Xbox, the original Halo and pre-ordered Halo 2, which I would not have done had there not been the hacked version out there for me to play. So in that case, you know, and all these people who were playing it had already purchased the pre-release. So that piracy made them money. 
Yeah, and you brought that to my house one Labor Day weekend. I played it, liked it so much, I went and bought the Xbox 360 with Halo and Halo 2 and, and pre-ordered Halo 3. So they made a ton of money off of that one French pirate. Um, and I don't think that's a, a an edge case. I think that happens all the time. But again, yeah. you have you have that thing of ends justifying the means. You know, good things came from an illegal activity. Is that okay? I, you know, depends on who you ask. Well, and plus, there's a law that, like, you know, you have like yeah, in the whereas law. Yeah. Well, no, yeah, like in Texas, you have like three days to return something if you don't like it. You know, where yeah, I don't remember the name or the exact thing, but a lot of these things, you know, you buy and download and that's the end of it. You can't get a refund. They make it impossible. They, their very actions are illegal because they make it impossible to get the refund back because you've already purchased it. Uh, anyway, yeah, so it's just another carbon, way to justify. Carbon one in the chat room says, do you feel it's unethical to record Netflix? So, right, so it comes in, and you hit it with a DV, DVD recorder or VCR in the process. And I replied back, I wouldn't do that. And he says, yep. in the end, you'd have the same thing as torrenting the file. Why would that be different? I don't have an answer to that. But when that goes through my personal BS meter, it comes up yellow. <laughs> <laughs> that, yeah, that's a good one. Um, I would be in the same boat, Mark. I wouldn't do it either. Um, I would be, you know... I would say that's the same thing as back when they were, you know, slinging DVDs in the mail as their primary thing of you ripping the DVD, um, when you rented it. And I, I don't think that's right either. Well, so, so there's an interesting one because I've had this discussion before. All right. So I have access to those DVDs as, as my membership. So at any time within a day or so's notice, I can get that, that movie. So if I rip it and keep it in my own, uh, collection. The only thing I'm doing is eliminating that day's notice. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I still think that's that's awful. And unless you prom- unless you are guaranteeing that you, when you end your Netflix subscription or they close their house, you would have to delete all the files you ripped. Right. And so that that makes it pass through your personal BS meter. That would be the only way it would pass through my BS meter. And I personally, how would I keep track of the ones I ripped from Netflix and the ones I didn't? You just put it in a different folder labeled Netflix. Well, yeah, I, okay, but there Netflix again, Netflix Gladiator. <laughs> yeah, but that would break Plex, so I don't want to do that. <laughs> no, it doesn't. I have subfolders all over the place, and Plex. No, foldering, foldering is fine, but renaming the file name oh, to yeah. Netflix Gladiator would break net would break That's Plex. True. So you know, as long as we're confessing here, I, I that Chris, what you just said is what I do. I get a Netflix DVD. I rip it. I send it back. We it may be another three weeks before we watch it. We watch it and then I delete it. Uh, so I'm watching it exactly one time, but I don't always. I don't want to hang on to that DVD for six weeks because that may be how long it takes us to get to it. While some then somebody else doesn't have that DVD. I'm doing a favor to the rest of the Netflix community. Rationalize um, it, buddy. Ra- Rationalize of course, it exactly. But that's that's how I handle. It. I have a subfolder, Netflix. And I throw things in there, and we watch them once, and I delete them. And if I find that I'm going to watch it more than once, I go buy it, and I move it out of the Netflix folder into the other folder. Wow. Well, so you- I'm a pirate. I should wear the hat, too. They, yes, you um, should. But I'm just I'm just <laughs> confessing things left and right here. The, See, the I guys- wouldn't have a problem with, with what you just said there. I would not have a problem with the way you do things. While, so it might be the illegal, but it would not be unethical. 
to me. Yeah, uh, there are people screaming at their uh, podcatching <laughs> devices right now, calling me horrible names because I'm doing a terrible thing. But that that's my approach to Netflix. That's what I do. I keep them separated. And I and yeah, if I decided to uh, kill my Netflix subscription uh, prescri- subscription before I had watched these things, I would delete that folder, and they would all go away. But am I a total two face when I say that? I kind of feel like one. I really do. <laughs> your 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 BS meter is a little lower on this totem pole, huh? Are you yellowing yourself out here? <laughs> yeah, I I really I, you know it it's. I have to. I have to say that I am caught in that middle of, in the middle of Grayville. I really am. But I've 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 rationalized things in such a way that I think they're okay. But like I said, we're all good at that. Yep. Oh gosh, we're we're heading on a two hour show now, and we haven't even done any news. So I, as much as I love this discussion, it's been a great discussion. I think we need to move on. And Seth, let's hit uh, three news stories that you think are cool. I'll let you decide. Let's see. Decisions. 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 (laughs) And while he's doing that, they may not want to be advertised on this show, but I will tell you about our friends at the LinuxAcademy.com who support this, the madhouse that is Everyday Linux. Uh, LinuxAcademy.com is a place where you can get step-by-step video courses designed to take you from being a beginner to being a, a Linux administrator. That's their job. And they do it well, and and uh, they do this by the way of, of video courses. But it's not it's it's not just videos. It's not just going to YouTube and downloading stuff. It it's uh it's study guides that go right along with it. They're they're downloadable. If you're a paper kind of person, some people still are. You can print those things out and you can highlight all over it. I had a friend in college I used to to joke with. I said, wouldn't it be easier just to get yellow paper because you highlight every line on the paper? So just print it on yellow paper. Problem solved. <laughs> <laughs> but if you're one of those people and you need the tactile sense and you're afraid that online learning isn't for you, they, they've, they've, they've covered that for you. They've got the, the downloadable things that are time coded to the, the video so you can go back and watch that and make a note here and you can sync all that together. Uh, then, you know, once you've done that, they've got their online quizzes. They've got their, um, uh, the opportunities to test your knowledge and see where you go. And it's all broken down into this module format where you say, I'm going to take, this is what I want to learn. Think of a module as a goal. I want to learn enough to be certified as a Linux uh, LPIC level one professional. Take that module and all the modules are then broken into courses. The courses are broken into lessons and it's all right there. It tells you uh, what you can expect to do, how much time you can expect to spend on it. And you can go back and forth. You can do it a linear. Uh, if you're watching something, you, Oh, I know that just skip down, skip that course, move on. If you then take a quiz and go, oh, turns out I didn't know that as well as I thought I did. You go back and it's learning at your own rate, at your own pace. You can put things together your own way. And these things are created by professionals in the field. Their content has been certified as as, as A plus content. Um, and you can get all this. Uh, you can give it a try for a buck. They'll give you a week to, to walk around and try things out for a dollar. And uh, when you're done, uh, after... Uh, after your your week has has transitioned uh, uh, is up, they'll transition you to the twenty five dollar a month uh, fan plan. The twenty five dollars a month is the most expensive plan they offer. The let me say that again: twenty five dollars a month is the most expensive plan they offer. 
That's that's ridiculous to get that level of learning for $25. But if you buy three months, you buy a quarter up front, you can get it for $20 a month. If you buy it annually, it's $199 for a year, which translates to like $16.70 or something a month. Um, so you can pay less if you buy more, just like anything else. Buying in bulk saves you money. Um, and But you get that uh, twenty that seven days to try it for sure, and it's a seven-day limited trial. Uh, so, you know, I'm going to be honest there. You can't do everything. But think of that first month as really your your trial. It's a $25 monthly trial. If you don't like it, cancel subscription, part friends. But and we haven't seen that happen a lot. I've I, Yes, I've had some feedback from people say this isn't for me. Just like, you know, the, the discussion about Audible. It's good, but it's not for everybody. But you get that seven days to, to peek around to, to see, and then you can buy a month and just and see, is this really for me? And if, you, if it is, and it probably will be, fork up the 200 bucks and buy a year, and, and it's worth it. Because in a year's time, say you look at that and say, it won't take me a year to learn everything that they have here. Maybe that's true. Maybe you're a really quick study. They're adding stuff all the time. They're well over 200 training videos right now and adding every day. They're adding not just videos, but whole new areas of content every day. The Amazon Web Services stuff they've just thrown out there. There's there's new stuff that they're adding all the time. So in that year, your subscription that you buy today is going to be different a year from now. There's going to be different stuff available, more stuff, and it grows. And you can contribute to that growth by using the, the, the participating in the forums there. The guys who run the thing monitor those forums. If something comes up that's a regular discussion, or you send them an email and say, hey, I'd like to see this. The, the, the feedback I've gotten from people is they're very responsive about that, and things just suddenly appear that you ask for. It's a great thing. Check it out. And when you do, use the code EverydayLinux to let them know that we sent you. Can't say much more than that, Mark. You pretty much nailed it all on the head. Well, that's my job. <laughs> yeah, it just you're not going to find this level of learning concentrated uh, for this price. And you know, I've said it all the time. You don't have to already be an expert to get the biggest benefit out of here. If you know how to watch YouTube, you know, and, and watch those illegally uploaded songs that we've been talking about for the last hour and a half, <laughs> then you have the skill set necessary to enroll in the Linux Academy and they will teach you everything um, you need to get from there to be a, Lin- a GNU slash Linux server administrator professional type person is well within your grasp. All right, so Seth, what is the first of the three news stories that you've picked this week? Sometimes Craigslist is still cool. Yeah, um, this was just an interesting story that I thought was really cool. Um, I, you know, I mean, I've heard of the Burning Man, but it's not really something I would ever do. But they have this like no uh, scalping policy where if they find out the ticket has been scalped, they will void the ticket. And there's this um, story where this guy was. Um, trying to scalp his ticket and you know he put a little sob story on there and the person who was going to buy it basically called him on it and there's just you go read the story and he's like um they're going back and forth and finally the guy relents because he realized he realized that what he was doing was wrong and ended up you know he ended up the guy who bought the ticket gave him like five or ten dollars over the value which you know for I wouldn't have a problem with that and I wouldn't consider that scalping, but it was just an interesting story. This guy set him up because he knew what he was doing and he took screenshots on his phone to show and uh, all that. It was just a really interesting story. I thought, you know, 
there's so many cool things on Craigslist. Like you can Google red paperclip. It's an awesome story, but you have to be careful because you can also Google, you know, person murdered by person they met on Facebook or on Craigslist too. So this is just an example of where Craigslist is still cool. Yeah. I'm just reading through this as you go. Um, wow. <laughs> there's a lot of stuff there. It's really cool. Check it out. Uh, let me put the link in the, in the notes for the people watching live. And of course it'll be on our website as well. Uh, you know, the, the internet is a place of, of scumbags and cool people. And it's kind of neat when they collide. Yeah. Yes. But on, on the other side though, I would really love to someday go to Burning Man. I, I would love to go. That's one of my, one of my bucket list items. I, that doesn't appeal to me at all. It's really no. you know, just not my thing. Um, okay. Feds warn first responders of a dangerous hacking tool. Well, that sounds interesting. Yes. Apparently, if you know how to do advanced searches on Google, you are like, you're considered a hacker. Um, it's a Google hacking or dorking has, has been used by hackers and penetration testers for years. Um, and it was just kind of funny that, um, like, you know, you can type, if you're Googling, you can do site colon and then you can put the name and Google will only search that site. Well, that is, um, then you're a vicious cyber criminal apparently <laughs> because you know how to use advanced search techniques on Google. So this is just a case where a, um, the FBI just did something stupid uh and they did this thing uh the malicious cyber actors use advanced search techniques and somebody saw it and put it up there and uh i i learned that this is called google dorking which um i thought it was pretty cool and it's just one of those things i can't believe they should know they should know that stuff like this is going to go get out and it's going to make them look stupid well, you know, uh, people, it's the security by obscurity thing, right? right? As long as I don't publish something, it's safe. No. Yeah. If you have made your site available to the Google crawlers, it will be found. Robots.txt, people, it would have stopped all of this. You just say, I don't want this index. And Google is good about it. They say, okay, cool. No problem. You know, we covered the story. Exist. We covered the story a while back where this guy from France got busted for espionage because this uh, server, because this other agency in France did not secure their server and this guy accessed it just by a Google yeah. search. And, and that made him an international spy. Yes. And so, you know, and this is the same thing. You all, you still hear stories of, you know, this state department, uh, didn't realize that, uh, you know, the social security number and birthdays of everyone in the state has been open to the internet for years. Uh, and, uh, you know, there's just stories like that where people don't realize what they have online or they put something up for testing and forgot to take it down and their entire infrastructure is at risk. And because you just did a site, you know, it's, it's you didn't break the law you just like what is going on and then boom uh now you're a vicious cyber hacker sorry the phone in the church is ringing if you can hear that that's all right i was <laughs> looking to see if it was one of mine um and I, I don't want to turn it off because i might accidentally answer it <laughs> that's fine uh yeah if you do something stupid you'll get called on it newsflash yeah i do have if to the find government a moment does of something stupid and you find it you're a criminal so yeah. newsflash. I think 
I think it's funny though. They're they're calling one of the uh, one of the Google search. Uh, what is it? What are they classing it as? It's in the third paragraph down or whatever. Using an automated hacking tool known as GNU <laughs> WGET. Really? <laughs> WGET is an automated hacking tool. That's awesome. Wow. You know what yeah. WGET is? WGET is a command line tool that says web, W, get. Go get this from the web. That's yeah. all it does. It's, it's, it's I don't want to load my browser and go click a link. Here's the link. Go get it for me. Yep. It's now a malicious hacking tool. That makes me kind of sad because I use WGET a Elite lot. So no. Hexor. <laughs> <laughs> I, I use WGET in a number of scripts. Uh, for example, the one that that uh, posts uh, this show on a regular schedule uses WGET. Okay, Mark, you have to be careful because now you've admitted to not only being a pirate, <laughs> but you're also a cyber criminal. Nice. <laughs> yeah, this show is posted jail. every Wednesday night at midnight server time. And I do it. One of the things that I use is WGET. So I am now a I'm I'm a real I'm I'm I deserve to be put under a prison cell because I'm a pirate and an advanced elite hacker. So yes, you just admitted to using a multitude of advanced hacking tools. Yes. <laughs> All right, and this next one it. this next one Seth, I want you to to talk about it first because I have a feeling that you and I are going to have different takes on this. So I'll let you introduce it. Okay, the um T-Mobile um, you know, they're the underdog data company in the, or telephone cell company in America. And so they've exempted like GrooveShark, RDIO, um, and they're about to exempt Google Music. So if you're streaming via GrooveShark, it will not count against your bandwidth. So at least that's what it's saying. And of course, you know, if you're in one of the 10 square feet of America that gets T-Mobile coverage, good for you. Um, and there's other music services as well that no longer count against the data caps on certain T-Mobile U.S. plans. So, so, Seth, is this a good thing or a bad thing? You know, it's one of those. I think it's I kind of think it's good because I think that data plans are overpriced anyway, but it will be bad because it's more bandwidth and everything is going to get more congested. So it probably means that they're just raising the prices of everything and it's going to end up with the exception of the few elite people. It's going to end up costing everybody more money. That's what I think is going to happen. So here's how I would write this headline. Net neutrality dies a little more today. There you go. Yeah, That's yep. exactly what the, this is a provider saying, I've made a backroom deal with a certain a group of people, and I will give them special access that you don't get from other people. So if you're streaming your own music from your own Dropbox account, screw you, you're paying for that data. But if you go through GrooveSharp Groove or RDO, Spotify's not there, uh, or Google Music, then you're fine, which means these people have rubbed my back in the way that I like in the back room, and so I'm going to kill net. My network is no longer neutral. Now it prefers these people. Oh, actually, I see this as a terrible, terrible thing. Yeah, actually, and Spotify is already in there. So these is just adding some. Okay. There's like about a total of 14 that are. My Plex there. server's not. I nope. can guarantee that. Nope, my yeah, pan, I can the Pandora well. is. So if I want to stream my own stuff that I've purchased and put on my own server, 
Well, I'm I'm a terrible person already. I mean, we've already established that because I ripped the I ripped the the music in the movies and put it on there. But and you now used some elite I'm, hacking tools to do it too. I did, yeah. So now I had to pay to get them. Let's say I bought it off of iTunes. All right, I had to pay to get it. Uh, then I had to pay to download it, assuming I did that mobily. All right, then I I put it on my server. Now I'm having to pay to access it from my own stuff. Um, and and this is this is the this is the death now or the beginning of the end for net neutrality. And people will look at this and go, yay, free stuff. And that's how freedom dies. Yeah. It dies with cheers and applause. It's interesting to see that, you know, I would be more, especially, I would be especially more worried about if a bigger player was doing this. You know, if like Verizon pulled this trigger, it's just a matter of time. Verizon it is the, the only reason that they haven't done it yet is Google hasn't paid them as not as much right as they need yet. Oh, I understand that, but I would be more afraid of this if if one of the bigger players are pulling that trigger. I, I think I agree with you, Mark. I think this is a horrible thing. Um, it's just gonna it, it's the starting of the song for the death of net, net neutrality. If T-Mobile wanted to do the right thing, they would just do away with data caps. Yeah. Period. That would be a much better way of doing it. And then you don't have the death of net neutrality. I mean, as I've said before, you know, we're, we're charging for the wrong thing. We're, bits are infinite. There are an infinite number of bits in the world. They're being produced faster than they can be consumed. So why in the heck are we charging for bits? We need to be charging for the size of the pipe. That's what matters. It matters how much data you're using because the amount of data you're using means, you know, I've got to be able to support everybody using their full amount of their capacity. So instead of charging for the pipe, I'm going to charge for the bits to make sure you can't use the capacity that you've already paid for. No, they're going to charge you for both the bits and the pipe. That way they can make you pay twice and actually make you pay four times because you paid to buy the music. You paid to download the music. You're uploading it from your server. That's going against the data cap on your home internet. And then you're downloading it on your mobile device. That's counting against the cap. That's like quadruple jeopardy. And unfortunately, the Constitution only outlaws double jeopardy. So they bypass the (laughs) Constitution. (laughs) And so this this terrible thing is happening but it's going to be met with cheers and applause. And that's yep. what scares me. Yeah. I don't really stream music because, you know, there's this thing called the radio that the way I listen to music, it meets all the needs I have. But here's the problem with the radio. 30 minutes out of every hour is music, and then it may or may not be a song you like. When I stream from Google+, Plus, 60 minutes of every hour is, is music, and it's all songs I like because I bought them. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I I'm I don't do the Google Music thing, but I'm a Pandora user. But I've got my Pandora thing so well tuned that um out of sixty minutes, I probably have two songs that I don't like. Yeah, and you do have to listen some to some ads. So fifty eight minutes, maybe fifty six minutes of no, every I, hour is I music. I pay for there. Pandora. I don't have. Oh, ads. okay. So no ads. Yeah. See, I pay for the services I use. <laughs> I pay the, for the services I steal I know. from. So, you see. You know. <laughs> So that you, you, okay, wait a minute. I, I just thought of something. So under that thought process that you just told us about, you would be okay with an employee stealing pens and papers from you if you were the, if you were the, the owner of a company. Of course not. Cause that hurts me personally. 
I would never be okay with that. <laughs> Actually, the the truth is, it wouldn't bother me at all. As long as he wasn't going in the back and taking like a case of pens. If he's taking the, the amount of pens he could use personally, wouldn't bother me in the least. Okay. That is just an, an interesting thought process there. Yeah. And no, I'm not in the habit of stealing pens from my employer, so I'm not rationalizing my own behavior. <laughs> but I did once take a roll of toilet paper from the office because I didn't have any at the house. <laughs> when I was young, I did that. <laughs> it's confession time. Father, forgive me for I've sinned. <laughs> forgive me for I've pirated. It is sun. It is Sunday. Yes. <laughs> All right, so uh, with all of that, that's all the news we got time for because we had such a, a great discussion. I really think it was a great discussion. I hope you, the listener, agree that it was a great discussion, but it's, it's ranging on the uh, on the uh, the term uh, definition of epic. My brain just stopped right in the middle <laughs> there. So tell us what happened this week in history. Okay, August the 29th, 1831, Michael Faraday discovers electromagnetic induction. Nice. Reaching way back... And, you know, you got to have electricity to power the net and to pirate and to hack stuff. <laughs> so, um, you know, thank you, Michael Faraday, for giving us uh, your name was later attached to the Faraday cage and yay science. It's also a unit of measure for capacitance, the Farad. Mm-hmm. Yep. So uh, it's it's good to name things. Yes. So he discovered electromagnetic in, in magnetic induction, which I find interesting. That he got his name for the measure for capacitance, so he must have done some work there too. Just wasn't this week, right? Yeah, Faraday cage, by the way, is um, interesting physics, right? Why can we see through glass and not see through sheetrock? Because light waves can penetrate the spaces, the holes in glass. Glass right. is a fairly fairly porous structure, and light can go through it. Light can't go through the holes in sheetrock. It's it's more more porous. That's why I can can't see through the walls, but I can see through the windows. Why does your microwave have the little grid of of stuff on the front of it? Because that's the size that microwaves can't go through, but it's small enough that light can go through. So you can kind of see your food going around in there, not really, but kind of. But it's small enough that microwaves can't go through it. If you put uh, something bigger, say chicken wire, uh, about that size, um, FM and AM radio waves can't go through that. Light can, air can, but the radio waves are bigger. So you can create a Faraday cage by designing your wire mesh the right size of the things you want to black out. Hence the term Faraday cage. Yep. And little and physics for you right there. That's pretty awesome. You blinded so, me with science. <laughs> <laughs> So microwaves, as the size suggests, are small. Therefore, the mesh on your microwave door is very small. FM waves are bigger. AM waves are huge. Um, So it's easier to block them. There you go. And the more you know... The more NBC makes off of that phrase. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. And to wrap up the show, Seth, what do you have that's going to drop my productivity this week? Okay. You know... I came across this site and I thought it was freaking awesome. Shirtoid, S-H-I-R-T-O-I-D dot com. 
um, yeah. nerd shirts, geek shirts, everything. But this is sort of like a front end to a bunch of different websites. Like some, some of the ones you click on will take you to think geek and then some of them will take you to other ones. So that they are like a, this is like a collection of all the cool shirts online and you can just kind of scroll through here and there's only like, there's only like 239 pages of t-shirts for you <laughs> only. to look at. And, um, anyway, I thought it was really cool. This was great. The green power ranger on a shirt that says I was green before it was cool. <laughs> there you go. Oh, the power rangers make me sad. And if you link off that page, you go to a soylent green t-shirt that says with more real people in every bite. <laughs> oh, this wow. could, you could spend hours looking at stuff stuff. You yeah, could. and I mean, you know, there's Star Wars, there's Ghostbusters, there's comic books heroes. Ooh, here's one with the Powerpuff Girls dressed as superheroes. That one's cool if you like the Powerpuff Girls. And, uh, you know, here's one for the Avatar. Uh, whole bunch. There's a rock, paper, scissors, lizard, Spock. Yep. Of course. <laughs> because that everybody needs a guide to that one. Oh, and it's actually, it's the thing. Here's the rock. Edward Scissorhands. A sheet of paper, a lizard, and Spock. Rock, paper, scissors, lizard, Spock. That's awesome. Nice. Uh, I like I it. Have, I wonder if they make that shirt in the size, dear God, what is that thing? Because <laughs> I, I might need that. Oh, my gosh. The very, very last one. If you go to page 239, the last one is Sex Panther Cologne. 60 per- <laughs> 60% Illegal of the time, is- it works Every, Every time. time. <laughs> Illegal in six continents. And that links to um, 80s tees. That's oh, nice. Ron Burgundy, you are a god among men. <laughs> we want to hear what you have to say about our show. Um, we we talked a lot of, uh, in a lot of circles, right? And we made a lot of, conf- I made a lot of confessions. Uh, so did we, I. You know, there's a lot of stuff here. What do you think about it? This, uh, there are no easy answers. Or maybe you think that all the answers are easy. Geeks tend to think that they have the one and only true answer. So let us know, geek. What, what is the answer to piracy? What is, what do you think about this show? What do you think in general? Do you like, uh, Chris's new pirate hat? Just let us know all the, the places you can, <laughs> the place you can do all of these things is at elementop.com. You can, um, use the contact us button. You can uh, leave us a voicemail using the voicemail widget or just call 559 IMOP if you're in North America. Or if you're uh, Mike, uh, the Brit, if you want to can't use Google Voice, just send me a, a, an audio file of you uh, speaking your mind, and, and we'll do it that way. We haven't had one of those in a while. Check out the forums while you're there. Uh, visit our elementop.com slash audible link to make me money. If you're doing shopping, do it on <laughs> elementop.com slash Amazon, again, to make me money. Um, that's what, so we that can keep coming. Some- <laughs> that was supposed to be subliminal. Sorry. Uh, Whoops. <laughs> check out all those things at elementopia.com. Again, this you're the reason we do this six and a half hour epic show. Uh, so if if you don't like it, let us know. If you do like it, let everybody else you know know. And again, I I, I covet your uh, reviews and ratings on iTunes. I know this is the wrong audience to be asking to use iTunes, but it really does help. Uh, but also, you know, Stitcher or whatever, uh, just spread the word. That's how you can help us the most. Um, and we thank you for being a listener. Seth, Chris, thank you for um, not calling the feds on me uh, this show <laughs> and for being the awesome co-host that you are. And finally, 
I'm going to say that ends this episode of Everyday Lex. Everyday Lex.